You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news and rumors regarding uh, new and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Um, Today we'll be talking especially a lot about Rogue One, as that's the the next new movie coming up, and uh, we've got, of course, the first big trailer for that. Um, So excited to talk about that, um, as well as all this other great stuff. Um, As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and uh, it's good to have my co-host, Tim, back with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey Kyle, doing great because all the stuff we've talked about years ago were how awesome it's going to be when we get The Force Awakens and when that comes out, Rogue One's right around the corner. We got Rebels going on. Well, we're, we're seeing or we're living it now of how awesome that is as we just got The Force Awakens out on Blu-ray and then boom, Rogue One trailer not too soon after that. And then not to mention an amazing Star Wars Rebels season finale. So tons of amazing Star Wars content all is like coming at us one by one. And it's as great as I hoped it would. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, it's been, you know, so much good stuff coming lately. And uh, of course, unfortunately, right as all the Star Wars stuff gets busy, life gets busy too. And, you know, we haven't been able to record in I think it's been like over a month now since our last episode if we had if we had waited any longer to talk about you know the Rogue One trailer and the Rebels finale and all that stuff I think someone would have you know sent a BB unit out looking for a a map with our location and be like where did those guys go Um, (laughs) but we're back uh good to be back and uh talking Star Wars again um so yeah let's let's just jump right into this um and uh, I think it's only fitting that we start with the new trailer for a new Star Wars movie that's going to be in theaters later this year. Um, so we finally got our first look at Rogue One. Um, and uh, man, I mean, where to start with that? Imperial Walkers, Death Star, Stormtroopers, cool looking new characters, um, intriguing looking new villains. Um Man, it just looks like it's going to be some uh, some really cool stuff. Of course, this is going to be this, the story of uh, how the Rebels first steal the Death Star plans as sort of a prequel to A New Hope. So, um, I mean, I don't know if I was quite as blown away by it as I was with like some of the Force Awakens trailers, but of course there wasn't quite as much 
brand new stuff to pour over, um, you know, no Kylo Ren lightsabers and X-Wings skimming across the water and all that kind of stuff that got us super excited with The Force Awakens. I mean, obviously this is set in a time period that we've seen before in the movies and in Rebels and whatnot, but still a lot of, a lot of really cool looking stuff. And I'm, you know, obviously excited for this movie. So um, I, I thought it was a great first look at it. Yeah, I agree. I love the trailer. And what was cool about it is how it was announced where it came out of nowhere, really. Where Star Wars, the Twitter account for Star Wars just sent out a tweet like, tomorrow on Good Morning America, get your first look at Rogue One. I was like, oh, awesome. Because <laughs> usually sometimes when they tease when a trailer's coming, it's like a few days or a week or something like that. So the fact that it came the day they after they first announced it was awesome. So I uh, was up real early in the morning. I think I saw it like at 5 a.m., which I don't think was early enough. So <laughs> I was about, like an hour <laughs> behind. But yeah, when I saw it, it, it blew me away because... Um, being excited for this movie, but at the same time, it's still sort of a mystery as far as what the tone, the look of it, the feels are going to be. And it, it was strange because it does look like, you know, it looks like it's set in the era it's supposed to be right before A New Hope. At the same time, it has a modern, clean look to it as far as a, a film-wise. And I, I think it looks great. It almost, uh, I hope this never happens and we never see this day, but like if you're to re reboot Star Wars, like remake A New Hope again, like in today's uh, modern age, it would probably look something like this, where, of course, it looks like it, but it just looks new. And I think it, it fits great for that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. tons of cool shots in there, man. As We were expecting the Empire to be a big presence of this, as well as the Rebels. And I think on both fronts, it kind of delivered where it just gets you excited for seeing like familiar Stormtroopers again. But new ones, man, those Shadow Troopers or Dark Troopers, I don't think they have an official title yet but no i think i think we've heard them i think we've heard rumors referring to them as death troopers or yeah, something like that but yeah i mean they they don't refer to them by name but man those things look awesome yeah regardless of what they're called <laughs> they look amazing and as I, I was hoping was as remember when uh, donnie yen sent out that instagram photo with all those helmets yeah we got a tease of what we can expect for troopers and boy it's delivering on the especially the death troopers because man seeing those stormtrooper armors and like shades of black and just that dark color tone just looks so awesome that that one shot where they teased the day before on twitter man that if you wanted an image to get you pumped up for the trailer it it worked for me because man you know me and trooper armor so oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> we were getting some new ones to get excited about and this one's just looks like they're going to be up there with clone trooper armor stormtrooper armor first order stormtrooper captain phasma maybe not quite as cool as phasma's look but <laughs> it's just another one to add to the <laughs> but they'll probably so. do more in the movie i think they already did more in the trailer <laughs> <laughs> We saw some shoot off their blasters, so already they're doing a little more. <laughs> that is true. But yeah, and I'll just go ahead and get to my favorite shot of the trailer. And it was one that, it was to me, it's the money shot. You're seeing the Rebels run off the beach with AT-ATs <laughs> firing down on them. Not one, but you see four of them in that shot. And the setting of being on a beach, it looks incredible. I mean... Hearing Gareth Edwards talk about it, that celebration of how it's going to be a warm movie, a gritty warm movie, that one shot, I think, encompasses of what he was talking about, that celebration of this looks so, so cool. So, yeah, it did its job as far as not getting me excited for it, because I was already excited for it, but that feeling when you get a new Star Wars trailer and you just can't wait to see it and you want it here now, <laughs> the Rogue One trailer did that for me. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it was awesome. Now, so did you say you got up early for it or did you just like stay up all night till it came out? Didn't stay up all night like I did <laughs> for the first Force Awakens teaser, but I was planning on getting 
up early because I knew it was gonna be on Good Morning America, but I forgot, you know, on the East Coast. <laughs> it's yeah. not live on our our coast. It's only live on the East Coast. So uh, I was expecting to go like I'll get up at seven or something like that. But my brother actually came in and like we woke me up saying, Hey, the Rogue One trailer's out. <laughs> I was like, really? It's five AM. <laughs> <So I just laughs> gave me his phone and I saw it right then and there. So it was a great thing to wake up to, even if it was earlier than I expected. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, see I had I mean, again, I knew it was going to be coming out on Good Morning America, and I knew that was going to be, like, earlier on the East Coast, but I was like, rather than try to, you know, wake up super early or something, I'm just going to get up for work at my usual time, and there'll already be a new Star Wars trailer out, and I'll just watch it before I go to work. Um, and that's basically what I did, but then I saw, and I wasn't surprised that you had already seen it first and, like, tweeted it out, and I think the first thing I saw on my phone was you know, Twitter messages where people had like retweeted where you, what you put out. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just watch it off that. But then I saw that you had posted it at like five in the morning and I was like, oh, Tim probably stayed up all night waiting for that. <laughs> I probably just should have because I, I went to sleep like at one thirty or 2. So another <laughs> two more hours. Because I think it came on like around 4. Yeah, but, um, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, an awesome thing to wake up to. Um, some really cool shots in there. And we haven't even gotten to, you know, probably the biggest thing story-wise in the trailer, which is, of course, the introduction of the main character, um, played by Felicity Jones. Uh, her name is Jin Urso, and, uh, you know, she's sort of the first character that we're introduced to in the trailer. Um, and it, it's kind of cool how they do it. It's like she's at a hearing or something, um, and you just hear a, a male voice say, state your name for the record. And she says her name. And then, um, they're listing off this list of offenses that she has, you know, forgery of Imperial documents and possession of stolen cargo and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, uh, we see Mon Mothma, yeah. um, uh, you know, a, a younger Mon Mothma, um, who, you know, it's cool to see that she's, you know, even though we don't see her until Return of the Jedi, like obviously she was around during the time of A New Hope, so it's cool seeing her being a, a leader in the rebellion at this time. Um, and so you see her talking to Jin in a uh, a rebel base. That, I'm pretty sure it's like the same one on Yavin, um, and yeah, the, the interior of it, you know, the the planning room or whatever, um, definitely looks you know right out of A New Hope with uh, you know Jan Dadana planning the rebel uh, the Death Star assault and all that. Um, and she says, you know, you've been on your own since the time you were 15 and you're reckless and aggressive and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, Jin just looks at her and goes, this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. <laughs> um, and so it seems like she's going to fit right in with these guys and, you know, maybe have some issues with authority or maybe not be the best at taking orders or whatnot, but certainly is going to have no problem sticking it to the empire and being a thorn in their side. So, um, she definitely seems like she's going to be an interesting character, especially given uh, what we see at the end of the trailer where we see her in some pretty sweet looking like Imperial. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the same kind of armor as those Shadow Troopers are wearing, but it's definitely like black Stormtrooper looking armor. Um, and I'll have to look again. It even looks like she might have had some sort of like melee weapon on her back or something. Um, actually, I just watched this, so I've still got it pulled up on YouTube. And if we back up to this, yeah, it kind of looks like she has two melee weapons. Last shot. Yeah, it looks like she's got two, like, I don't know, like nightsticks or something. You know, they're they're kind of like short baton mm -hmm. looking things. But I mean, it could just be part of the armor. It could be, you know, they it could be a weird looking blaster. Um, it could be some sort of explosive, like a stick of dynamite or something. So I don't know, but. Um, 
but obviously, like I said, he's wearing Imperial armor here. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, this could also be a TIE fighter pilot outfit. Um, I mean, obviously, she's not wearing a helmet. So, I mean, we still don't know um, exactly what her role is going to be as far as is she going to be like more of a ground fighter or a pilot or something. But um, it does seem like this movie is going to be, like you said, more sort of a, a gritty war movie and maybe focused more on some ground battles. Because um, I think obviously from early on, like a lot of people were assuming just from the title Rogue One and, you know, we know there's Rogue Squadron and all that. Um, I think we were expecting a lot of X-Wing battles and that she was maybe going to be an X-Wing pilot or something. Um, but I think the only X-Wing you see in this trailer is I, I think you just briefly like see the back of one sitting in the hangar. Um, but at least from this first teaser, no sign of any space battles or anything yet. So I don't think she's going to be... Um, you know, like a female Poe Dameron or anything. Like, I think she's, it's definitely going to be sort of more focused on ground combat and espionage and um, that sort of stuff. And there probably will still be some space aspect to it, um, given that it's Star Wars. But, um, you know, I, I don't think she's necessarily going to be a, a fighter pilot or part of Rogue Squadron or something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, as to this, this Imperial armor, though, it's like, does she end up, I mean, she probably doesn't end up defecting to the Empire because we know at the end of the day, whether it's her or somebody else, the Rebels are getting these Death Star plans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we kind of know how this story ends already, even though we're not going to know what happens to all the new characters. But I'm guessing, you know, she'll probably end up going undercover as part of the Empire or something like that. Yeah, that was my first reaction when I saw that last shot of her in that Imperial armor. And I first, like you, I thought, oh, automatically she's like undercover as a TIE fighter pilot. But at the same time, there's differences to her, that Imperial outfit. And actually, uh, my brother, too, brought it to my attention. It kind of it reminded him of a little bit of Agent Callus's armor, where he has his normal Imperial officers, but then that like armored vest that he has on, too. And I go, no, that kind of does look like that, too, just more black. So it could go either way. But I, the question, too, where you just brought up, is she undercover or does something happen where she defects and goes to the empire? Because uh, when I watched it again and took all in like the dialogue, it's when Forrest Whitaker says, what will you become? And then it goes to this shot kind of leading you to believe that maybe she will go down like a darker path or something that would let, allow her to go to the empire side, but mm -hmm. not totally convinced in that, but it's something that's now like in my head of a possibility of something that could happen to the character. If I, knowing what she was saying and like you said in the beginning listing off like her rap sheet most of that's probably against the empire and imperials of what she's doing that would probably get the rebels attention so i don't if she's doing that stuff to the empire in the beginning not too sure like why she would then defect to their side so yeah and i mean what you're saying about For forrest whitaker's dialogue like i mean that stuck out to me the first time i watched it where um, I mean, obviously, I think that's sort of what they're supposed to be implying in the trailer, you know, when he says, what will you become? And then you see this last shot of her in Imperial armor. I think it's supposed to make you as the viewer go, oh, maybe she's going to turn evil or, you know, turn, you know, defect to the Empire or something like that. Um, and so that was just sort of my first thought, putting two and two together. But then I was like, hold on, wait a second. Like, they wouldn't give that away in the trailer. So That's I think true. I, I think they that was a little bit of misdirection on their part, and so I was like, okay, but what else could it be? Probably more likely that she's going undercover and infiltrating. But then at the same time, I mean, he I, I would assume that his dialogue is still going to be in the movie, so maybe it will still kind of come into play. Where like maybe she's going to go undercover um, to 
you know, try to infiltrate the empire and, you know, be a double agent or something. And then some people are worried that maybe while she's working for them, that she actually is going to defect or that, um, you know, it's going to corrupt her character or something like that. You know, when he says, what will you become? Like she could become something darker or, you know, go down a darker path or something like that. So, um, I, I think that still is all, you know, maybe a possibility. It's still going to all come into play somewhere, but I think this shot in the trailer is not, you know, a definite indication that like, Hey guys, she's going to defect to the bad guys at the end of the movie. Sure. Cause like I said, a, they wouldn't give away that big a plot twist, like in the very first teaser trailer and B we know that the rebels win anyways. So, you know, I, I don't see how that would, I like, I don't think that's going to end up being the case. And one more thing about that shot too, where, she turns her head and then the lights come out of that room. I mean, did you think the same thing like I did where someone gets her attention and she, she turns her head, she sees maybe Darth Vader in this instance because we know or not confirm, confirm, but all signs are pointing Darth Vader is going to show up in this movie. And what if this is the moment where like he confronts her, maybe other rebels that are in this area that they're, I don't know if they got the plans already, trying to escape with the plans, still looking for the plans. I don't know. But what if this is where she turns ahead and this is where we get our first look at Vader? <laughs> um, you know, that hadn't really crossed my mind. I mean, obviously, like you said, I've heard tons of rumors about Vader being in this movie. I hope he shows up in this movie because that would be awesome. Um, but, and, well, and another thing that I thought of too, like with this shot as those, you know, sort of, rounded you know elongated lights or whatever um are coming on in this tunnel behind her it looks really similar to um you know sort of the the tunnel that luke walks through mm, yeah. in bespin when he's going to fight vader for the first time so it reminded me of that but i didn't necessarily think of you know a, a possibility of her facing vader in this scene um, I mean, as far as we know, she's not going to be a Jedi or a force user or anything like that. So I'm, I'm not expecting her to necessarily come face to face with Vader because that obviously wouldn't end well for her. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. We know the rebels get the Death Star plans, but the, these group of rebels who give them the plans, do they make it out alive? So that's all up in the air. And if they don't, I think Vader's going to play a big hand in, in kind of in the in the role is not where they don't survive vader's gonna have a hand in that oh yeah very possibly um and i'm sure not everybody's making it out of this movie alive um and maybe even the main character won't but um yeah i don't know just i i guess i hadn't thought about that as far as i, I was thinking of it more as just sort of the reveal of her in the stormtrooper armor i wasn't thinking of like who she might be turning towards or whatever um but yeah, I don't know. Interesting to think about. It's one of those moments when we actually see the movie where I'm going to be thinking, okay, is this it? <laughs> like, yeah. My speculation way back in April <laughs> as we're talking about this, this is where uh, Vader's going to show up. So. Yeah, or it could be like The Force Awakens where, you know, half the shots in that yeah. first <laughs> teaser trailer weren't even in the movie. Yeah, I hope it's not the case because, man, there's a lot of good ones in this trailer. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't even say half. It was mostly... It's kind of just two shots in that first teaser, but it's like two of the most iconic ones, no. which is... No, there's actually less shots that made it into the movie. There's more cut in that trailer than what actually made the movie. If you think, if you go back and look at it, a lot of those shots didn't even make it. Well, I don't know, because the, I mean, obviously, like, the the stormtroopers were in there. But not that shot. That shot actually wasn't in the movie. With them, like, pulling their blasters, and then you see the 
the cargo ship uh, doors come down. That wasn't in there. Oh, I guess I haven't paid enough attention to that. Um, I think the only ones that were actually in the movie was Finn at the very first shot of the trailer, and then the Falcon flip and BB-8 rolling. Well, BB-8 rolling, but also I thought there was a shot of Ray on her speeder that was in there too. There was, but that shot wasn't in the movie either. <laughs> we oh, okay. On the speeder, but you've, not that you, shot. you've obviously gone through that more thoroughly than I have, because <laughs> um, I think just going by memory, I I knew like the X-wing shot wasn't in there, um, which I was disappointed by because that was like my favorite shot in the trailer. Um, but obviously, that was sort of a more. I think that first shot in the trailer, like they maybe were going for a more dark and intense feel with that scene at first, because in the trailer it looks more sort of overcast and cloudy and the x-wings are like kind of coming in real slow like it's a more intense build-up yeah. um, and then in the final scene in the movie it's much more sort of quick and upbeat and heroic and it's just like hey here comes the resistance and they swoop in and save the day um and then of course the uh the shot of kylo ren igniting his lightsaber um <laughs> which i'm like where would that have even fit in the movie i'm not even sure um, probably obviously somewhere around the, you know, the, his, the duel with Finn and Ray, but in the trailer, he still had his hood up and in the actual movie, you know, he had already been unmasked by that point. And so I don't know. Yeah. They could have kind of could have made it work. Well, instead of we see Finn and Ray walking through the snow and seeing, finding him, they could have done it the opposite where we see Kylo Ren walking up there and then he puts his nice his lightsaber pulls down his hood and then we get a shot to ray and finn but i don't know out of all the shots that were cut from the trailer that was the one where i was actually kind of surprised at because it, it's become such an iconic moment now yeah from the force awakens so it's kind of weird not to see it in the actual movie because they still show it on like some promos for it and others like uh promotional images and videos they put out they still use that image of kylo ren igniting his lightsaber yeah but yeah, so hopefully none of these iconic or, well, I think the AT-AT shot's almost iconic because we haven't seen something like that in Star Wars for a long time since the Battle of Hoth and this looked more intense. So that's almost that iconic level for me. But regardless, hope there's a lot of cool shots in this trailer. So hopefully it's not the same as the very first Force Awakens teaser. Yeah, well, probably not because, um, I mean, obviously they're closer to release now. Um, I mean, this came out in April, whereas the first Force Awakens trailer came out in November, you know, over a year before the movie came out. And it was really just something to sort of whet people's appetite um, and kind of satisfy curiosity because it was already like reaching fever pitch by that point. Yeah. And, you know, J.J. Abrams said, like, we weren't even planning to release anything yet, but there was just such high fan demand for it that we were like, eh, let's just kind of throw something, throw something together. Um, and so, yeah, I think obviously by this point, they've probably got a little bit better of an idea of what's actually going to be in the movie. Um, and, you know, this is obviously longer and gives you a little bit more of the story than that first teaser was. So I think you can already kind of see it coming together a little bit more right here. Yeah, that's a good point too. But uh, going back to Jen and uh, her character and how she was introduced, like you said, it was a great introduction to it, even with the music just playing the forest theme on a piano. I loved how it sounded. And uh, going back to, you know, what they were talking about, uh, her rap sheet and all the things she's done and her being in custody of the Rebel Alliance. It made me think, are we going to see her get uh, taken in by them? Or is there kind of going to start with her already like being taken in by the Rebels and they're offering her 
this chance to you know help them out and steal the Death Star plans, or like kind of her backstory and that stuff leading up to it is going to be told because we know we got a comic series and a novel coming for it. Is we going to see that in the actual movie? You think, or do you think that's going to be extra stuff that's going to be some other media where we're going to find out how she got into the hands of the rebels? I'm not sure. Well, and here's the thing too. Even though the trailer sets it up like she's being, you know, interrogated or arrested or something by the rebels, um, you don't actually see the guy talking at the beginning when he says, um, you know, state your name for the record. Um, and I'm wondering, like, I, I feel like it could possibly be two different scenes. You know what I mean? Like maybe she gets captured by the Empire and is put on trial or, you know, is going through processing there and then maybe like escapes or the rebels break her out or something oh, like that. That's interesting. Um, because, yeah, I'm just thinking like, you know, if you're the rebels and you find somebody who's, you know, this arsonist or whatever, who's, you know, trashing the Empire, like I don't know. I wouldn't arrest that person. I'd be like, hey, give him a blaster and send him out to fight some stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, maybe that I mean, she's in handcuffs because the Imperials put her in custody and they don't, you know, break him out as soon as they know more about her and get her story before they actually decide to use her. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I didn't think about that, where maybe we'll see her more on the Imperial side being arrested and all that. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could also be something... I mean, maybe she doesn't know about the Rebel Alliance. Maybe she is just trying to, you know, steal a shipment to get by or something or, or steal something from what she thinks is an Imperial ship and it ends up being, you know, a, an Imperial ship that, that the Rebels had already captured or something um, and kind of ends up, you know, accidentally crossing them that way. And so they bring her in and then find out, like, oh, this is somebody we could use. Yeah, that's true, too. And I just got to say, too, it's great that we got an, her name right off the bat <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this trailer. Confirming that it was the rumor name Jin did pan out to be true, so that was cool to get that right away. And again, one of the big surprises for me, and this is actually something I haven't heard any rumors about or even really thought. I mean, of course, it's always a possibility, but when I saw Mon Mothma there, that really took me back. Oh man, that's cool that she's going to be in it because yeah, it makes sense for her to be. But at the same time, we didn't really hear hear about her playing a part in the movie. But yeah, it's just going to be in that section and that part of the movie. And I don't know if she's gonna have a big role, but regardless, it's cool that she's gonna have a presence in it. And also too, that it's the same actress who played her in the deleted scenes from revenge of the Sith. So yeah, that's gotta be a cool feeling for her knowing that she was going to be in star Wars and then it got cut. And now she gets another chance to be in star Wars. And I don't think she's going to be cutting this one. So <laughs> no, a really tough break. If that happens for two movies. But yeah. I think it's cool that they got her because, man, she looks just like a younger Mon Mothma would. And if she, even in episode three, she looked like her. And then it kind of fits. With, well, would it be the exact same time frame? No, no, not exactly. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking she, you know, my, my only complaint with that would be that she still maybe looks a little bit young. Because um, we don't know exactly how long Rogue One takes place before A New Hope. But, I mean, it can't be more than like a year or two. Um, if that, but yeah, I, I would think it probably takes place like within the same year because in, uh, a new hope, you know, they say the rebels have just won their first major victory and stolen the death star plans and now they're on the run. So, 
Um, I don't think the Empire would like sit around for a year being like, hey, you know what? I wonder if we should try to steal those plans back. Um, so <laughs> it's, they it's hit it really well. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's got to be pretty quick. And so I'm thinking like she should be, you know, maybe like five years younger than Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi. And she definitely looks younger than that. I mean, she looks like 10, 15 years younger, something like that. Um, well, the easy explanation but, for that, the stresses of war. Got exactly. <laughs> I was going to say that, that is kind of, you know, a, a plausible explanation. And I mean, like you said, it's cool that they at least got the, the same actress who was going to play her in Revenge of the Sith. So I don't really have a, a huge problem with that. I think it's just going to be cool to see the character again. And, you know, it'll be a nice way to, um, you know, have a, a familiar face that ties this in with, uh, you know, sort of the the rest of the saga, I guess, or the main saga, or however we're going to delineate these different branches of Star Wars movies now. Um, a Star Wars stories. <laughs> yeah. Still not, not crazy about there. that, yeah. name, but whatever. Um, but yeah, when I saw her too, it kind of made me think, okay, we didn't know about her. Is there a possibility maybe we can see Jimmy Smith's back as Bail Organa at, at the end of the movie if she'll be in the beginning? I think that could be a very real possibility, except... I mean, he, he could be in and out at some point, but, you know, we know that when the Rebels steal the Death Star plans, obviously Bail Organa is sort of not involved in it, and he's off on Alderaan because that's where they're trying to get the plans to. Um, you know, like, if he was at the Rebel base, they wouldn't need to deliver the plans to him on Alderaan. Um, he wouldn't be like, hey, guys, let me go ahead of you and get there first, and you can come give them to me. He'd just be like, hey, give them to me now. Um <laughs> But it would be cool, I think, if they could work him into that story somewhere, um, as well as, you know, like we said, we're talking about Vader. Um, we've heard the rumors, too, about Boba Fett possibly showing up, and I think that would be freaking amazing. Um, so, yeah, really excited to see, you know, how, like, what other ways they sort of connect this and tie this into the other movies, aside from it just being set in the Star Wars universe, obviously. But it'd be nice to see, like, some... Uh, you know, sort of minor familiar faces. Um, and then also, so talking about, you know, just some of the other characters that we see in the trailer, um, you know, of course we get glimpses of, we talked about uh, Forrest Whitaker's character. We also see, uh, I love Donnie Yen's character already. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like this blind guy who, I, I have no idea how he's going to play into the rest of the story because we don't see him interacting with any other characters. We just see him like, walking out onto the beach with a stick and then beating the crap out of some stormtroopers. Yeah, um, one theory I have about that were cuz it looks like I don't think he's going to be like part of the main rebellion yet, but it looks like in the few shots we see of him that the stormtroopers are kind of, you know, raiding or taking over a village and we see some other villages in the background that looks like they kind of have the same clothes as he does. So maybe he's the one who kind of steps up and takes them out and that gets the attention of maybe Jin and some of the other rebels mm -hmm. that are there. They help him out and he joins their crew there. So maybe he'll be someone they'll pick up along the way after they see how awesome he is with taking out stormtroopers with a stick. Yeah. And I think maybe same goes for Forrest Whitaker too. Cause if you look at his costume, like he definitely does not look like a typical like rebel general or something. Um, yeah. That goes into, cause there were some rumor reports too about like how he was going to look, how it was a little cybernetic and, not too much cybernetic, but it does have that feel where it's, you know, the armor really stands out where it might be something where I don't know if it's armor or it's something that he has to wear because, you know, he's 
been injured in war and this is some like a suit that he has to wear in order to maybe walk or you know just for him to get around in so mm-hmm. it's kind of matched up to the reports we were hearing him about possibly being like a a war veteran or someone who's seen a lot of action maybe in the clone wars or early on in the days of the rebellion so yeah but just interesting to see where his backstory comes from yeah but like his his overall look to me just sort of looked more sort of like a I don't know, like tribal or, you know, like, like it would belong to like a specific culture or something and not just sort of what you would think of being associated with like the rebel Alliance or a certain military or something like that. Yeah. Um, it definitely had like a more unique look to it where you wouldn't expect to see like a whole army of soldiers wearing that kind of uniform. It's like that he's, he's sort of a more unique player, I think. Um, but yeah, definitely interested to see how he factors in as well. The villains I think look really cool. Um, well, I mean, really to see the one main villain who we know is going to be played by, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, um, who's playing this Imperial guy with like, you know, white uniform and this like flowing cape and he looks really awesome. But then we <laughs> also see shot. this shot from behind of a, another mysterious figure, presumably a villain, um, wearing a, a black cape or robe or something like that. Um, we don't see their face. We don't know anything about this character. We don't know if it could just be him in, you know, his bathrobe or a different kind of <laughs> outfit or something. Um, but it also could be, you know, people have speculated it might be an Inquisitor. It might be, I mean, I've heard some people say that might be Vader, but I highly doubt it because you never see Vader wear a hood over his helmet. And I, that is just, I can't picture that. Um, see, I'm actually kind of more in that Vader camp because... I mean, to me, it's either going to be Vader or Palpatine. But the reason why I think it's Vader is because you and like the last few seconds of that shot, he looks like he's about to kneel, and you know, Vader only does that to one person. And we got the Imperial Guards, the Royal Imperial Guards there. So you know, Palpatine has to be present somehow in this sequence for them to be there. So the thing I was thinking of was maybe if we see Vader. You know, in action, taking out the rebels, and he gets severely damaged. Maybe part of his helmet comes off. So, I know, and maybe he just wears a hood to kind of shield him. Like, if anyone, if he's going to like a imperial base or a star destroyer, or maybe the in Palpatine's quarters on Coruscant, I don't know. But maybe just something to hide his face so no one can see since his helmet's been damaged. So that's hmm. kind of my explanation, maybe why he's wearing a hood. But at the same time, the big question is, what is that tube or that tank coming out there? Is it a back to tank, like a very special one that maybe only Palpatine has that Vader's going to use because he's been damaged there. So, or the communication device of some sort. So, I don't know. It's definitely the most intriguing shot of the trailer. But yeah, definitely. I think Palpatine definitely has to be involved somehow in that shot, but just because of the Royal Guards. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I think that's that's probably <laughs> a safe bet. Um, but at the same time, it's like. Well, I don't know. I was going to say, like, we haven't heard any rumors or anything about Palpatine being in this movie, but I'm like, that doesn't mean anything because we still don't really know much about the movie itself. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, as for that tube thing, I mean, it does kind of look like a back to tank, but there's also a lot of like smoke or steam coming up around it. So it maybe it's like a cryogenic freezing thing or I don't know. Um, like you said, definitely the most intriguing shot of the trailer. Um, what? One theory I heard online what got me thinking a little bit was that maybe it is Palpatine in that shot and we see those royal guards and maybe the person he's holding in there is like the like Snoke being kept on ice or something. Or, or Plagueis. Some yeah. Holy <laughs> like, crap. 
I mean, again, if we're going to go down that route about the snowplague, the snowplague theories, which, you know, we're always on the same page of how awesome that would be if that ended up being the case. Oh, <laughs> heck yes. If it kind of leads to that, that would make sense if it plays more into that. But again, that, this one shot creates so much speculation and intriguing mystery of what it could be. But yeah. that is a cool one, I have to say, when I heard it. But see, my only issue with that is like, I mean, again, we still really don't know much about this movie at all. But from what we do know, that would just seem so disjointed from the rest of the storyline. It's like it's supposed to be focused on the rebels stealing yeah. the Death Star plans. And then suddenly, oh, let's just throw in this little side <laughs> story about Palpatine keeping snow or, you know, keeping Plagueis on ice just so he has his body, just so we can tie that into episode eight when we reveal that Plagueis is, or, you know, that Snoke is actually Darth Plagueis. Like, you know, it, that would feel like the the problems that you know a couple of the marvel movies have had where you know it feels like it distracts from the, they distract from the main storyline to just set up stuff for future mm -hmm. movies um and i i really hope they don't do that with star wars like i think the universe itself is already big enough that you've got plenty enough stuff to draw from you don't need to i mean you're already making a spin-off movie you don't need like a spin-off storyline within your spin-off movie setting <laughs> stuff up for the main storyline of films like uh, I don't know. Like, I, I want these spinoff movies to just be focused on whatever they're focusing on and not try to, you know, create a whole bunch of other branches for potential other spinoff movies. Because like I said, there's already plenty of material for them to draw from. Yeah, and I agree with you where I think just they're not going to be too much connection between these movies or and the main uh, saga films. Of course, they're connected, but, you know, the specific things that are going to tie into the next movie, like you mentioned, the way Marvel does things. I don't think we're going to see a lot of that in these movies. But at the same time, too, we don't know that for sure. Like, kind of, This is going to be our first look into that. Are they going to go that route, or they really are going to keep it self-contained? But I mean, if you had to ask me right now, I say they probably are going to be more self-contained and not have you know setups for other stuff we're going to see eventually. Because you know, we've heard people theorize, too, of how maybe Jin is Ray's mother, which is something that I'm not putting too much stock in right now. No. Because of that reason where I don't think they're going to be having this much setup in Rogue One for, you know, the sequel trilogy movies. I just don't see them doing that right now. Mm -hmm. Now, see, that is something that, I mean, as, as far as Jin being Ray's mom, like, I could be okay with that if that were the case. But, I mean... That's just like such a huge conclusion to jump to right now when we have no like that's got nothing to stand on aside from the fact that you have like two white female British actresses with brown hair like <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be related. Um, and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm just not going to jump to that conclusion without knowing anything about Ray's parents or anything about. Jin and what her role in the story is going to be and like you said she could end up dead by the end of this movie and that would put the you know cap on that theory real quick so yeah and I, I expect like nods and winks to fans for stuff that we'll probably recognize from A New Hope in the original trilogy but I don't think we're going to get like nods and winks and hints to uh, the sequel trilogy so like I kind of like how The Force Awakens had its nods to A New Hope I think Rogue One is probably going to 
follow in similar fashion if they are going to do those little Easter eggs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Well, yeah, and I think in Rogue One, it's not even Easter eggs necessarily. Like, I mean, having Mon Mothma in there, it's not like, oh, hey, there's this one background character that we recognize. It's like, no, it perfectly makes sense to have her fit in with the storyline. So I think there are going to be tons of connections here to the original trilogy. And I think that's fine because it's a spinoff movie set during the time period of the original trilogy. But I'm just saying, like, I don't want them to release episode seven and then be like, okay, now let's go back in time and do a spinoff movie set 35 years previous, but have something in there that is going to set up some new story element in episode eight. And it's, you know, just be this big zigzagging back and forth (laughs) timeline that would be confusing. I mean, they're already going to have a hard time marking this to the general audience of saying, this is not episode eight. (laughs) We're going back in time. So yeah, (laughs) that would be more confusing if they are, you know, saying, no, this is going to be a prequel story. But there's going to be, you'll see stuff that'll tie into episode eight later. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do that. I hope nobody thinks this is episode eight because. Believe me, Kyle, there will be. (laughs) Well, I know, but I mean, think about the poor people who watch this trailer and think it's episode eight. They're going to be like, A, how come Ray and Finn and Luke aren't in it? And B, why the heck are they building another Death Star? killer base and it worked they're going back to the very base right <laughs> like oh we got to make it smaller now so they can't find it <laughs> but speaking of the death star how awesome was that shot <laughs> and the reveal of it in this trailer oh it was so cool just seeing that star destroyer looked awesome a classic star destroyer and this goes back to my point as far as saying in the beginning where how it's the classic look but it looks it looks new and updated type of thing and the shot has that feel to me too where you see a classic star destroyer then as it gets brighter you see the star the dead star come into frame and then you get that shot of the satellite being installed on there yeah. Ugh, it's so cool <laughs> that yeah. was probably my first chill moment of this trailer yeah that was i mean you talk about the money shot i think that was definitely one for this trailer as well um maybe even more so than the AT-ATs, but i i don't know like <laughs> Yeah, not quite up there for me as far as uh, the best shot of the trailer, but it was maybe the second. Or yeah, third. I mean, just as as far as, you know, the, the iconic stuff and seeing like, oh my gosh, it's them, you know. I mean, we saw at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you see that brief shot where they're building the Death Star, but it's basically just like a wireframe. And yeah. now you see like the satellite dish, or, you know, the the laser dish thing, like finally being put into place. And it's like crap that thing's ready to go for a test run and blow up all they're on <laughs> yeah that's so good and then a little bit too just on the rebel front i mean i geeked out about the stormtroopers and the new troopers i'll probably do that a little more <laughs> as we talk about this trailer but on the rebel front too it's cool to see you know what we're pretty sure is uh the base on yavin for i mean the base looks exactly like it in the in the shot where they're walking out of the temple looks almost exactly like that too but seeing the classic rebel soldiers uniform suo i really like seeing the look that the soldiers who were escorting Jin. they're wearing the uniforms that the blockade runner troops had i always loved that look it's my favorite uh look of rebellion soldiers out of all the movies so i'm glad it's making its return here and then that shot too that i was referring to where there you see Jin and diego luna's character and a bunch of rebel pilots walking out of that base so it just looks really cool because we got used to uh or anyway, getting used to, for me anyway, the new resistant pilots uniforms, but didn't quite uh, knock over as far as what I think the classic Rebel looks, as far as being my favorite. So seeing them again, and then you see that X-Wing in the background, it looks really cool. And plus some new um, outfits that these Rebel soldiers look to have, which has a little of the resistance feel too with that like dark brown like uh, look 
and some vests that they have on that some of the resistance soldiers had too. So just overall, the rebellion's looking pretty cool too, and has that classic a new hope feel that we've uh, seen before in uh, a new hope. And now again, getting it here in Rogue One, because of course it's going to tie in directly into it, but it was just cool to see in the trailer. Yeah. And also um, speaking of Diego Luna's character, he's kind of the one character that we didn't mention yet, I think. Um, and we actually don't really see much of him in this trailer. So yeah, not really. we don't really know what his role in the story is going to be. But in the brief shots that we did see, um, and speaking of, you know, tying into the other movies and the sequel trilogy and whatnot, I couldn't help but notice, and maybe it was just me, but I thought just the, the way that his character looked in the trailer, I thought he looked a lot like Poe Dameron. Really? Hmm. And I mean, there's... I mean, not like exactly like him, but there was just something about him that reminded me of him. And then it made me think like, well, we know from the comics that both of Poe's, you know, both of Poe's parents fought in the rebellion. And like, could that be his dad? Maybe? I don't know. Um, like, I think that would be really cool because that's not so I, I, I think that would maybe make more sense than Felicity Jones playing uh, you know, Ray's mom, because that's like a big mystery that we're waiting for the answer to. And everybody's sort of, like I said, just jumping to the conclusion, like, oh, maybe that's who it is. Um, whereas this is something that would not necessarily be like a hugely anticipated mystery or anything like that, but would just be sort of a cool little tie in, you know, sort of connection thing. Like there wouldn't really be any big mysteries answered between the two movies, but it would just be like, hey, we see this guy fighting in one movie and then we see his dad fighting way back here. Um, and again, just sort of, you know, something that I thought of, I'm not saying that that's going to be the case or that, you know, there's anything to base that off of either aside from looks and the fact that we know, like we said that, uh, that his dad was a rebel fighter during this time period. So could be a possibility, but I don't know. That was just something that popped into my head, just noticing a, a similarity between the two characters. Yeah. I did actually get that vibe when I, First thought. I still get the Biggs vibe from him, but I don't think he's <laughs> going to end up being Biggs. But we did get uh, in Shadow Empire, it was mainly focused on Poe's mom, but his dad did play a, a role in that issue too, and he didn't really look like <laughs> how Diego Luna looks here. So, oh, I guess so. I, I mean, I did read that whole series. I've already forgotten what his dad looked like. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember that he was in there. Yeah, so, but yeah, I mean, it looks like he's, I mean, from what we've heard too, like after Jin, he might be the next major character in the movie, but he didn't have too much to do in this trailer we just you know gave her that look as in the beginning of the trailer when mon mothma was talking to her and then we just see him walking out the base with Jin too so i still expect him to play a big role even though he wasn't that in that many shots in this trailer yeah um but yeah i mean i think he's like probably second on from what i remember i think he's like second on the list on the casting announcement yeah I think you're um right. so he probably will have a, a pretty big role to play in the movie itself just not much in the trailer so far yeah, and then the other character we didn't really see, but we got teases of it, was that motion capture droid, which I think the big rumor is that that's who Alan Tudyk is playing. Yeah, well, you know, I went back and looked at the casting announcement again, and it said right on there that he's playing a motion capture character. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so once I saw that droid, I was like, that's probably Alan Tudyk. It kind of reminded me a little bit of how they treated uh, General Grievous in the Episode 3 trailers, where... You could kind of see him in some shots, but you never got a good look at him. It was either from his back as he's like punching Obi-Wan and hit that ship. It was from the back. And then 
when right when Obi Wan jumped down to confront him, there's that wide shot where you see Grievous amongst a bunch of droids, where you know he's there, but you still don't know exactly what he looks like. And this is kind of what I got with this droid character. You mainly just either see him from behind, or there's that one shot where we see uh, Jin and he's walking behind her, but you don't see his face. You just see a droid walking behind her. So they're teasing him, but not quite yet to reveal what he's actually gonna look like. Yeah. But one thing I did notice, um, let me see if I can maybe find this again. Yeah, so the back of this droid, it almost looks like, I mean, he's just got this thing like protruding from his back that looks like the the same shape that's like on the back of Stormtrooper armor. Hmm. Um, Which makes me think he's probably, and I think we might have heard this before, that he's either like an Imperial droid or... um, you know, maybe a, a droid that they stole or repurposed yeah. from the Empire or something like that. Because at first I thought, like, is this droid sort of, like, cobbled together out of, like, Stormtrooper armor? But then I, I mean, just looking at it now, I thought, well, no, I guess if the Empire, if the Empire is, like, manufacturing combat droids, it would kind of make sense that they would, you know, give them a same, a, a similar sort of body design to their Stormtroopers. Yeah, I'm at that shot right now, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I didn't pick up on that the, the many times I saw the trailer, but it looks exactly right, like the back. Yeah, it's uh, that part back Stormtrooper armors have hump or plating or whatever, that sort of rectangular bump that comes out of the back of Stormtrooper armor. Yeah, yeah, that's a good catch. It definitely leads into it where yeah, it's going to be more of an Imperial droid, and maybe. We'll see them steal the droid at first. Like maybe that's their first mission, but or maybe when they attempt to steal the Death Star, he interferes with them. And but yet somehow they get him to tag along, or I don't know, somewhere where he ends up joining their side. But I don't know. That's a good call, though. Um. Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see. Like, I don't know how he plays into it too, and everything. Um. Especially from some of the rumors that we've heard that this is going to be you know, totally different from any kind of droid character we've seen before. Yeah. Um, and sounds like he might have sort of an HK-47 vibe going on, which is always a plus in my opinion. <laughs> oh, man. If he says meatbag. <laughs> <laughs> I would love them forever. But, yeah, let me geek out a little more on some other Stormtrooper armor because I just can't help myself. But <laughs> <laughs> there's that shot where I believe it's when Forrest Whitaker's character is saying, like, what would you do if they capture you? And we see... Stormtroopers have some rebel pilots captured, but I think it's before that or after that, but we see that really cool shot of Stormtroopers is patrolling through the streets of some village or city, and there's that tank, and then you see those Stormtroopers that are piloting the tank, and their helmets are a little different too, and they're maybe different, but they still look awesome. (laughs) Those trooper helmets kind of gave me more of a clone trooper uh, design vibe, the way that's shaped, and that looks like there might be a visor or something on the top of there. And the little coloring on like the top part of their armor looks to be not just white, but like a darker color tone, like a blue or a gray or something on there. So it was cool to see. They're kind of like, it goes real fast, almost like a blink and you miss it type thing. But if you pause it, you can make it out and they look pretty cool. And then the other ones that we got a glimpse of was um, another one that Donnie Yen teased in the <laughs> Instagram photo was those uh, beige looking uh, trooper helmets. I think when I first saw that, I remember thinking, oh, is that going to be maybe a helmet design for the Rebels? Because it does kind of match their uh, color tone for some of the uniforms they have. But when you see that shot of a bunch of troopers running in that base, I'm not necessarily sure it's a Death Star, but when you see them, you see a mix of like regular stormtroopers, and then you see those like beige-colored troopers. And oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it looked cool too, and I'm just <laughs> getting so excited about all the different new trooper armor we're going to see in this movie. I mean, I would have been fine alone with just the Death Trooper black look, but the fact that we're getting these other ones in there too, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah, in fact, I think I'm looking at it again now. The beige ones, it almost looks like the same type of helmet as the one you were talking about where he's sitting up on top of the tank, just a different color. But it looks like the yeah, same kind of design kind of where it's got that plating on the front. Mm. Yeah, possibly. And what's gonna what I think is cool too, where it looks like because you know I've heard some uh, as people see this trailer, like kind of wondering, you know, if they have all these different trooper armor and these like special uh, troops, like how come they were we didn't see them any other time in the original trilogy, in specific like the Battle of Endor, since that was the biggest one. And my takeaway from it, or what I think makes it work, is that maybe each planet you know has its specific design armor for certain troopers to match the terrain so if we see these beige ones on the planet that the beach is on that we see with the ATATs, maybe they're just specifically on that planet and you know because we've seen before at snow troopers they'd only use that for ice worlds and uh return of the jedi had the scout troopers and so you know there's specific trooper armor they use for different situations so i think that's going to apply to this too and i personally think too that the death troopers they're like seals the navy seals of the empire type of thing they're like a special ops team that they're going to only use for really like important and specific missions and maybe once they find out that the death star plans are in jeopardy they're going to be sent out to take care of it and it looks like they're going to do some damage i'm kind of picturing that we're going to see the normal stormtroopers like miss and get beat up we already saw that in this trailer already but then once we see those death troopers in action it's like this is like with the Empire getting down to business and, you know, going to get things done and show why they're, they're to be feared. So I definitely can't wait to see that in action. But And then to go to where I was saying how why don't we see him in Return of the Jedi, I think it's one of those things where Palpatine is just so overconfident at that moment where he says he has his best, uh, a legion of my best troops are there. They probably aren't the best, but maybe out of just normal stormtroopers, they are the best. But you probably feel there's no need to bring out the special uh, death trooper ones, or just because you know, playing into that line, Luke says your overconfidence will be like your downfall, and he kind of showed it there. <laughs> so um, it's either that, or somehow the special death troopers they get wiped out at some point before Return of the Jedi. But yeah. <laughs> that's my reasoning for why we don't see any of these other troopers in any like in the New Hope Empire or Jedi, or they have stealth and we just don't see them on Endor. <laughs> but they would have won. <laughs> True. <laughs> Um, but again, yeah, just like you said, his overconfidence was his weakness. And I was chuckling there because it made me think of the whole yo mama joke fight in Robot Chicken. <laughs> your that faith in your one. friends is yours. <laughs> faith in your mama. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and obviously lots of cool trooper designs to geek out over here. Um, I would pretty much bet money at this point that the fourth uh, as yet untitled uh, Star Wars Battlefront expansion that's coming out in early 2017 is going to be based on Rogue One. Um, yeah. <laughs> because A, I don't see how much more they could milk out of the original trilogy after doing... I mean, they just had the Outer Rim expansion that came out last month with uh, more maps on Sullust and Jabba's Palace. And then in the summer, we're getting Bespin and Cloud City. And then in the fall, we're getting the Death Star expansion... Um, and we've already had a couple more, you know, free maps on, released on Hoth and Endor. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I just, 
unless they're going to make up more new locations on the pre-existing planets. I can't really imagine what else they're going to come up with. Um, although I do think it would really be really cool to have like an interior Star Destroyer map or something like that. But um, yeah, I definitely think, you know, seeing all these trooper designs and stuff, I'm like, yeah, we're going to get to play these in Battlefront. Yeah, and it makes sense too. I mean, the the line they're giving for why the Force Awakens, there's no Force Awakens content in the game is because, oh, would it make sense with the timeline and the canon and all that stuff? Even though it's a video game, it doesn't really matter because yeah. there's a bunch of other stuff that contradicts the story. So, But they wouldn't have that problem with this one because it's, like we said, set right before a New Hope story. Exactly. So it would make sense. And just judging by the few shots we've seen of this new planet that's taking place, I uh, it would make an awesome level for Battlefront, especially Walker Assault, obviously. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Oh, yeah, on a beachfront? Heck yeah. Because <laughs> that would be totally different from anything we can play in the game right now, too. Exactly. Um, I mean, I mean they... we, we've got sandy planets and, you know, deserts and stuff. We've got Jakku and Tatooine. Um, and there's a little bit of water on some of the Endor maps. But, yeah, nothing on that scale. Like, a, a beachfront invasion like that, that would be awesome. Well, the obvious one before this would have been Kashyyyk, but since they want to well, keep it all together in the yeah. timeline of this, this would be the perfect one to go with. And yeah, like I said, this is that one shot with the AT-ATs blasting the Rebels. It makes such an awesome level to play in on battle. I mean, it looks like something right out of Walker Assault. Exactly, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Only with four Walkers, which is kind of terrifying. I just hope, I mean, we do see a Rebel get blasted. We see him flip over, but... We do see a lot of those rebels running through the blasted fire and them not hitting any of those movie targets. So I, I'm sure that scene gonna, is going to be a lot longer <laughs> than just that one shot. But the, those AT-ATs better not miss too many rebel soldiers <laughs> walking <laughs> on that. But. Well, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't think those guys are going to do a whole lot of damage unless they've got some like super explosives or something. And yeah, they're, they're going to pull a Luke and like, you know, shoot up to the bottom with their tow cables and whatever. Yeah, if we're going to try to link up sequences from this trailer, it looks like, because there's that shot where uh, we see them running from that base, or it looks like a bunker where we see the back of the the CG droid, and it looks like we see uh, Jim's character holding like a data pad in her hand, which uh, maybe is the Death Star plans, and we see her running from there, and then we see her uh, running in the shot with the AT-AT still holding that data pad so it looks like it's one continuous sequence you know, maybe they're being chased out of that bunker by troopers and then they come out and then they're just shocked to see four AT-ATs or possibly more and then we got to see them try to run through their blasted fire and make it to their escape but it looks like this whole sequence is going to be a pretty long one starting from inside that bunker and then outside oh you know what that's a good point because I'm I'm going back and looking at it again um I don't think I noticed in like the interior shot where she was running that she was holding a data pad or something um i mean i can definitely see that now i didn't really catch that the first time around but also i mean i saw for like the the shots where she was running outside i could definitely tell she was holding something actually here let me just play this for a second oh okay yeah, yeah i see that i see that data pad that she's holding um, cause when she's running out onto the beach, I thought she was maybe just like holding two blasters or something. Um, yeah, she definitely has one, a blaster in one hand and the other, it looks like it's that same pad. Yeah. You have to get it from like just the right angle. Cause from the side, it just looks like, you know, something long, like a blaster or something, mm -hmm. but then you can kind of tell there is one, like for a couple frames, I can see it's kind of turned towards the side and it's like, oh yeah, it does look like a, 
either a data pad or at least like a box or a case of some sort. Yeah, it even looks like Diego Luna's in the same outfit. He doesn't have his jacket on like he does when you see him running in that bunker and then on the beach suit. It's, it's, it's the same thing where he just has his uh, shirt and not the jacket. Yeah. So it all looks like it's playing out for one big, cool action sequence. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Man, just how awesome is that going to be? Like, this, Maybe this is the climactic action piece of the movie. We see him in that bunker and then with the AT-ATs, but then if they haven't shown Vader yet and we still have that to look forward to after what's sure to be an amazing sequence. Oh man. Oh yeah. Talk about a finale that could possibly be one of the best ones we've seen in star Wars if Vader's involved. Yeah. Well, I'm still not necessarily expecting Vader to like get into the thick of the action. Um, at first I wasn't, but we've been hearing things where he like might be in it more than you would expect him to be. <laughs> yeah, so. possibly. Um, and this is still just kind of going based off of my own, preconceptions and and predictions i guess and uh you know not really having anything concrete to go on yet aside from these rumors but um certainly like i'm not going to complain if they want to put more vader in there as long as it's not you know him getting overused or you know you don't want to like let the rebels run all over him because again yeah. if you know we don't have any jedi here or anything so if vader's going to show up like he better take some people out like if, exactly. if those weapons we see on Jin's back are like, you know, stun batons or vibro blades or something like that, she better not take Vader on in a one-on-one -on -one fight. Like, <laughs> and, better... and if she does, she better not last more than like 10 seconds. Yeah, like those weapons better be like torn to pieces, like the first blow from his lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, well, not even that. Like he could just force choke her and throw her across yeah. the room. <laughs> but he probably maybe wants to toy there for a bit or the Rebels – he didn't see that much action. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is true. Um, except he saw plenty of action in the Rebels season two finale. And we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> that would actually have been a perfect segue into talking about that. But I wanted to talk about the uh, Force Awakens Blu-ray first while we're talking about the movies. Yeah, just real quick. You made me think about when we're talking about Vader in action. When hearing some of the theories about going back to that hooded character and the shot of the trailer, how maybe it could be an Inquisitor. I, I don't think that's going to be a possibility either because as they made a point to say in Celebration and what we've heard also since then, how there's going to be no Jedi or Force users to help these rebels in this movie. They made it a point to say they're going to be on their own. So there would really be no point to any Inquisitors getting involved. And I would think the reason Vader has to get involved because it's the Death Star plans. It's something big. So mm -hmm. Alpatine would probably want to make sure that he sends his best gun to stop that from happening. So just on the Inquisitor front, I don't think that's uh, going to be one of the theories as far as for me anyway. Yeah, except that even though they said that, I still can't help but wonder if like Donnie Yen's character might be a little bit force sensitive or something. Um, I mean, like it's a cool shot that we see here in the trailer, but I'm like a blind guy with a stick beating up stormtroopers. Like how far is he going to get before somebody just shoots him? you know so i don't know i'm wondering if there might be a little bit more to that um it's possible at the same time we've seen stories before too like the wise blind master who's able you know to take out a bunch of enemies even with guns or blasters he can you know in the star wars universe of course it makes sense that it is the force and he can sense things even though without seeing and maybe he is someone who's force sensitive but you know was never trained as a jedi and all that so they wouldn't know he had that ability until later on, which maybe would rule out the 
them needing to send an Inquisitor if they knew he was, in fact, an old Jedi or something. But it's still a possibility that it could be a Force user. But I think they're just going to go to more like the wise old uh, master motif, you know, who could do things without uh, needing his vision to uh, fight and get things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of a similar feeling to how I had with Ray in The Force Awakens, like... Because, you know, initially in the, the trailers and the promo images and stuff, we just saw her fighting with that staff. And I'm like, okay, yeah, she looks cool and everything, but, like, she's going up against stormtroopers with blasters and, you know, people with lightsabers and stuff. Like, she's not just going to fight with a staff the whole time. She's probably going to end up being the, the Jedi character and have a lightsaber. So, um, but obviously this is a different type of character. Like you said, probably going to be more of a, a wise old mentor type. Um, and not like the main character, obviously. So, but I don't know. It's, it's just another one of those things that uh, is intriguing that I want to find out more about. Um, obviously, we other than uh, Jin, we don't really know like names or backstories or anything for any of these other characters. So, still plenty to look forward to and speculate about and all that good stuff. But um, obviously, yeah, for a for a first teaser, um, plenty to get excited about and talk about here. Yeah. I mean- it, like I said at the beginning, it just got me super hyped for this movie, even more so like where I want to see it now. And December, I mean, we went through this last year with The Force Awakens, so in the end, it'll seem like it went by quick, but we just got to make it through the summer months and the fall, and of course we'll get a new trailer, and I don't know if it's going to be Celebration Europe, or it'll be more towards the fall, like The Force Awakens uh, or the trailer was, because... I don't know, there's a part of me that's thinking we might not get as many as we did for The Force Awakens. Maybe it'll just be two, since, you know, like you said before, there was just so much anticipation for The Force Awakens. They had to put out that first teaser a year in advance. So maybe it will go back to the normal format that I was used to with the prequels, where they each just got two, except for those two exclusive ones on the Episode One DVD for Attack of the Clones. But that was for something else. But I think part of me thinks that we're only going to see two for Rogue One. Yeah, possibly. Um, and I could be okay with that. But the other thing to remember is, I mean, A, it seems like pretty much every big movie that comes out nowadays gets three trailers. Um, at least like yeah, Mar- at least like Marvel and DC movies, it feels like. And also, J.J. Abrams isn't directing this one. So I don't know if Gareth Edwards is, you know, quite as tight-lipped about his secrets and, you know, not wanting to reveal anything. Um, but, I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, like I said, uh, you know, I'm excited for Rogue One. I'm definitely going to go see it. I love this trailer, but it's not, you know, my, my anticipation and hype level isn't quite what it was for The Force Awakens just because, I mean, like I said, we, we already know how the story is going to end pretty much because the ending of it is A New Hope. And, uh, you know, even though it's, it's cool to see Star Destroyers and Death Stars and AT-ATs and stuff again, but it's not like, and even though we get to see cool new troopers and stuff, I mean, when there's a new trailer for episode eight, we're all going to be like, what new planets are there going to be? What new characters, what new ships and weapons and what are Ray and Finn going to be up to? I mean, it's, it's like a whole unexplored territory that we're going to be opening here. Whereas this is just sort of filling in some unexplained gaps but we know a little bit more about it so um again while i'm still obviously excited for it it's star wars i love it it's not like you know i'm not like hanging on every little piece of information and and scrubbing through every frame trying to be like what is exactly going to be in this movie so um 
So if they do only release two trailers for it, I'm like, I'm patient. I can wait. You know, two trailers will hold me over. And, you know, other than that, I'll just be watching The Force Awakens on Blu-ray and watching Rebels and playing Battlefront and Lego Force Awakens when that comes out. It's like now we've got plenty of stuff to hold us over until <laughs> December when this comes out. Whereas when uh, The Force Awakens was coming out, it was like that was all there was. And that was all we were looking forward to. And again, as you're saying that, this goes back to... <laughs> what I talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. We're in that ultimate Star Wars uh, golden era <laughs> where all that awesome stuff you mentioned and how you're going to view it to you know pass the time to then. But yet there's still a trailer for a new Star Wars movie, even though it's not episode eight. I mean, no one's going <laughs> to, like you said, not be excited for it, maybe not as much as episode eight. But still, how awesome is that? That we just get a new Star Wars a movie and then this trailer for it during all this hype still going around for the force awakens mm -hmm. that's what uh, i was i even tweeted this out when it happened this is i had the feeling i was hoping for when we found out we were going to get a new star wars movie every year we were force awakens even if it wasn't coming out on blu-ray it's sure the excitement for it's not as it was during you know december or january but there's still you know talk and discussions about it going on it's still because it's, it's not that far out still excitement about that movie but it it went back up again once that Blu-ray came out, came out, mm -hmm. and everybody's talking about it, saying how awesome it is again. It's, but yeah, as great as that is, you get a new a trailer for a new Star Wars movie that's coming out this year too. Uh, it just gave me such a cool feeling, and not to mention what we saw in Rebels, like I said too. So yeah, I'm just super ecstatic for all the stuff we're getting right now. It's uh, Star Wars Nirvana. <laughs> that's yeah. where we're in right now. There's so much good stuff, and it's not like it's just there. It's all looking great too. So that's what's, you know, it's putting it over the top and getting us, not just me, but I know many other fans excited about where Star Wars is heading in the future. Just so, so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously, you know, this is just one spinoff movie so far, but it is definitely looking good. It's not like, oh, it's just filler and Disney trying to cash in on the Star Wars brand. Exactly. Like, it actually does look like they're going to have an interesting story to tell and, you know, have something new to add to the, to the franchise by making this movie and not just trying to cash in on it. So yeah, things um, are all looking bright. <laughs> yeah. So, so good stuff there. Um, and then, you yeah, know, so we, we already mentioned uh, the force awakens being out on Blu-ray now. So let's just kind of talk about that for a bit. Um, I mean, I'm assuming by now you've had the chance to watch it multiple times and watch the, all the bonus features and all that kind of stuff. Um, now actually Tim, which, how so how many versions of it have you gotten by now <laughs> yeah i used restraint and i only got two copies of it okay <laughs> i got the best buy steel case because there's no way i cannot have that steel case with captain phasma and kylo ren on the cover <laughs> that's just too awesome not to have but then i also wanted the target exclusive too and i know there was some disappointment when it came out that it's only going to be a digital exclusive but still it's some it gave me a reason to buy another one <laughs> i like the cover <laughs> for it too even though it's like Packaged in a cheap cardboard <laughs> packaging, but there's some cool interior art of like the character posters that came out for it, and then uh, there's the ones that has all you got Kylo Ren, Rey, BB-8, Finn, Han, and Leia on the cover. But then when you open up, there was those um, Empire magazine covers, mm -hmm. I believe, where you had like all the good guys on one side on Jakku, and then you had Kylo Ren, Hux, and Captain Phasma in their Star Destroyer that shot. So it's just cool to see those shots and have it as in the DVD or the Blu-ray collection, even though it's not the best, you know, material they use for the packaging, but still it was 
I like having these different copies. I always was tempted to get that BB-8 exclusive one at Walmart, but I was like, uh, I'll, I'll hold off and just stick with these <laughs> two. And boy, I got to say, the Friday or the Thursday night when the digital copy came out first, oh man, I was I was tempting myself as I brought it up on like iTunes or the Disney Anywhere app. And I was like, uh, do I click that buy button right now, even though it's a few days away and I'll get the digital copy that way. But I was able to restrain myself on that front too, but it was a tough weekend. I'll say that as I saw everybody talking about it and watching it, I was so tempted to hit that buy button. <laughs> um, yeah, I just ended up going with the the Target version, um, although I still really like that Best Buy Blu-ray, or you know the the um, steel case, um, and I might have to try to pick that up at some point, or maybe like see if somebody's selling just the case on eBay or something like that. Yeah, you gotta do it, Kyle. Um, <laughs> just because that would uh, look so cool to have. But I've never been one to buy two different versions of a movie the day it comes out on Blu-ray. So it, for me, it was a choice between: do I want the one that's going to look pretty on my shelf, or do I want the one that actually has more content and so I went with the target version um which I have to say was worth it just for that video of uh you know the the John Boyega and Daisy Ridley featurette where they're like rapping together yeah. at the end <laughs> even though I guess they released that online like the day before or something um just that short little clip of it I didn't watch it because I was just gonna wait to get the blue or you know to get the blu-ray and just watch everything on there um, so i'm kind of glad i waited for it and didn't spoil it for myself but then i was still kind of mad like man that was like the best part of this and they released it online so like i don't know i didn't necessarily have to spend money for that but that was um, the whole thing though so yeah no <laughs> it was i'm, good, I'm it was not a good 20 minutes yeah no I, i'm uh very happy with my purchase um obviously the movie itself looks and sounds just as great as you would expect on Blu-ray. I actually just watched it on Blu-ray for the first time earlier this afternoon. I've watched it two other times since it came out on Blu-ray because, um, you know, of course, with the Blu-ray, you also get the DVD and the, the digital download code. Um, and I went out of town with my family this past weekend. Um, and so I downloaded you know, downloaded it to iTunes, put it on my phone and uh, watched it on the plane on the way to Boston where we were going. Um, so on the way there, I watched it on my phone. Then on the way back, um, they were showing it as an in-flight movie on the plane. And we were, oh, so, really? <laughs> so we were on JetBlue, um, which actually was kind of cool. They've got like video screens on the back of every seat. They've got like 30 something TV channels that you can watch for free. And then they've got like three channels that are showing movies. Um, and you have to pay like five bucks to watch the movie or something, but actually you can kind of just sit there and watch it anyways. There's just like a message on the screen in front of it that says like, you know, please swipe your credit card and pay four 99 to unlock this movie. But like, you can still see the movie going behind it. It's just annoying that you got this big text up in front of it. But we had taken off like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes late or something just because somebody, you know, they were waiting for somebody at the gate who was like late getting on the plane, but like not even that big a deal. We just left, you know, a few minutes late. And then as we're getting into the air, the, the pilot or whoever comes over the intercom and is like, hey, folks, you know, because we uh, took, you know, got started a few minutes late, we're going to let you watch our in-flight movies for free today. Um, and I was like, okay, heck yes, like I already watched Star Wars on the way here, and I still have it on my phone, which would probably be better quality than this video screen on the back of my seat, but I'm going to watch it 
on the plane for free just to say that I could. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, so I watched it twice last weekend, you know, on, uh, on my trip and then just watched it on the actual Blu-ray today. So, um, yeah, like I said, looked great, sounded great. And actually last week when I first bought it on Blu-ray on like Tuesday or whenever it came out, I came home from work that night and just watched all the bonus features. Yeah, um, yeah so I watched those first because I was like, I had already seen the movie eight times in theaters. I wanted to see all the behind the scenes stuff and the deleted scenes and the making of and all that. Um, so that was all really cool to see as well. Um, I know I've, I guess I've heard some mixed, mixed things from people Um as far as, um, you know, like one complaint I've heard is just that some of the bonus features didn't seem to be quite as in-depth as some of the ones we've seen for previous movies, um, which, you know, I, I kind of understand. And I felt that a little bit myself, like just as far as some of the technical stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, like we've mentioned before on the Revenge of the Sith Blu-ray, they have like an hour long feature just talking about all the visual effects that they did going into making, you know, the... Um, the lava fight on Mustafar. Um, and Not there even was the whole fight, just one shot from a fight. Or, yeah. Or I think it's like what goes into making one minute of it yeah, or something like that. Uh, um, and you know, there was nothing nearly that in depth on this one. And I mean, I maybe could have done with a little bit more of that stuff, especially for me as someone that's interested in like visual effects and filmmaking. Um, one thing that I really wanted to hear them talk more about is how they filmed the lightsaber fight. And I mean, it looked like they're, there's basically on set filming with like force FX lightsabers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, not, you know, the, not exactly those obviously, cause you know, they would have made custom stuff for the movie, but I wanted to know more about like how they made those and you know, what made them want to do that or how did they make them or um, whatever. Cause I mean, they kind of, you see a lot of footage of them fighting with them, but then in like the commentary over that, they only maybe mention it one or two times. The fact that they actually used like light up props, um, and that you know so when they're filming like when you see the blue and red glows from the sabers those were like that was actual lighting that was there on set that wasn't like stuff that they added digitally later so i thought that was really cool um but i just wanted them to go maybe a little bit more in depth with some of that technical stuff but still um i mean just after watching all the featurettes and the you know the one long documentary and stuff i'm like i'm still you know i, I just love seeing you know, all the, the whole behind the scenes process and stuff like that. So I was still, you know, happy with, uh, with all that we got there. Um, and I was just glad too, that there was a substantial amount of content. Like, I don't know why, but I, I was thinking like with the movie coming out this soon after release, like, you know, coming out on Blu-ray, like four months after it came out in theaters, I was like, Oh, I hope they're not going to like skip out on the bonus features and, you know, save that for a, a later release or something to try to get you to buy like two different versions of it. Um, and there might be some stuff that still is saved for later, especially because there's still a, we know there's a 3D Blu-ray coming out sometime later at some point. Um, JJ's even hinted that there are going to be some more deleted scenes that will be released in the future. Yeah, but he even said that they might be released online yeah. because he said that Disney has been has been very good about like not trying to you know, squeeze money out of people and not holding stuff back from the fans. Now, I mean, it's nice that he thinks that, and it's it's nice that they're not totally trying to scam us over, but I still would be shocked if that 3D Blu-ray comes out and it's exactly everything that, you know, already came out with this release and has, you know, doesn't have a single extra deleted scene or something like that. Yeah. Like, I would think they'd still want to add some incentive for people to buy that. So I think there might 
be at least a little bit of extra content on that version. Um, but still, like if they're going to delete or, or release more deleted scenes later, just like online or something, I think that would be awesome too. Because um, obviously sort of the one big one that was still missing was um, the whole sequence where, you know, Ankar plot goes to Takodana to try to catch up with Ray and is like, hey, you stole my ship. And then Chewie comes and pulls his arm out of his socket. Yeah, and they tease that too in some of the feature eyes because you see a shower on car plots in Maz Kanata's castle. And you're like, ah, yeah. there's a sequence. <laughs> yeah. Well, and see, that was one actual behind the scenes thing that I was glad that they that they touched on kind of in detail um in the behind the scenes stuff was that character of Uncar Plot and how they just how they made him. Um, you know, with Simon Pegg in the costume and all that, because I had had debates with people about that, um, be, where some people said like, no, that's totally like a CGI character. Like there's no way that, cause he, he totally has like a non human looking face, right? Like mm. it's just kind of a blob and you can see where the eyes and the mouth are, but I was still trying to figure out like, where would a guy's head fit in that mask? But at the same time we had seen like that little behind the scenes reel from Comic-Con, you see Simon Pegg in the suit. And so I knew it was him and knew how much they were trying to push, you know, practical effects and stuff. And I was just like, he looks like a CG character, but I know there's a dude in there. So like, which one is it? Um, and then, so to see that, yes, it was, you know, him in the suit and that they did actually like mold the mask to his face and everything, but then they still sort of went back later and made some, some CG enhancements just like to the way the face looked and moved and stuff. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And it's pretty much what I kind of, that, that was sort of my guess too. I was like, you know, it's probably the guy in the suit and then they, maybe did like a digital face or something. So it was kind of a, a combination of both there, but that was cool to see. Yeah. For me overall, I say I was real happy with the Blu-ray and its special features. I mean, um, going off of course, the big one I was looking forward to was the secrets of the force awakens, the cinematic journey documentary. And to overall, I think to me that was what I was hoping it would be. Maybe not quite as awesome as the beginning documentary was for episode one. Cause I think that gave you really great insights of what Lucas was doing with that movie. It was just cool to see that behind the scenes look. But what I liked about this one was it was just so great to finally hear, you know, J.J. Abrams, Harrison Ford, Daisy Ridley, and all the cast finally talk about <laughs> the big moments of the movie and the stuff that they kept secret for so long during, you know, press tours and uh, interviews they would do before the movie would come out. So to finally hear them talk about, you know, Han Solo's death and, the ending with Luke and seeing those behind the scenes shots of uh, Mark Hamill on Skelly Michael. And there's actually another really cool behind the scenes shot that I don't think was in the Secrets of the Force Awakens. It might have been on the ILM one where you see a shot of Mark Hamill uh, on set about where he's about to put his hand on R2 in the Force Vision sequence. It was just cool seeing them, you know, full frontal with his face and his Jedi robes. And it wasn't like the lighter gray beige tone that he had at the end of the movie it was like the classic brown jedi robes that he had on there it was just kind of cool to see him in that uniform or that jedi uh costume that we haven't seen before so that was a cool moment but overall i just thought you know it was paced really good the secrets of the force awakens documentary where it started you know from the early stages of you know lucas selling to disney kathleen getting uh jj involved and then kind of went in chronologically of how the movie played out, where it started on Jakku, then we went to Talkadana, then the end sequence on Starkiller Base with Han and Kylo Ren, and leading all the way up to the ending with Luke. So I did like how it was paced, and 
uh, getting everyone's take on those big moments of the movie. So overall, I was real happy with the main documentary of The Secrets of the Force Awakens. I think that lived up to my expectations. Yeah, it was funny. Like, you can tell that they filmed a lot of the interviews with the cast and stuff, like, while the movie was still filming, or at least, like, before it came out, because there were a lot of moments where they're like, Oh, are we allowed to talk about yeah. that? Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> That's how it started, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was pretty funny. Um, and then also, yeah, I, I didn't remember seeing that shot in there with Luke in the regular Jedi robes. I'll have to go back and look for that again. But Yeah, check um, it out. I'm pretty sure it's the ILM, the Visual Magic of the Force uh, mm, special feature on there. Yeah. But one other thing that actually kind of threw me for a loop, too, watching this, I was like, they totally redid Princess or you know General Leia's hairstyle, like CGI or something. Because in all the the behind the scenes shots that you see in the documentaries and stuff, it's like she's kind of got the same the same style, I guess. Except she's got like a ponytail coming down. And I'm like, they either completely reshot all of her scenes, or I think they probably just like digitally changed her hairstyle. And just, you know, at some point decided, like, they wanted to take that ponytail out. You know, now that you mentioned it, I didn't notice that in any of the documentaries or in the movie. But when you said that, it reminded me of some, like, I think it might have been some of the leaked concept art of, like, the first time we saw what Leia is going to look like in the movie. She mm-hmm. did have the long ponytail. So yeah, like, well, go back. We yeah, saw. and go back and watch the, the documentaries and stuff. And, and all the behind the scenes shots of her, she's got that ponytail huh. coming down. <laughs> yeah, um, pick up on that. And I was just like what <laughs> I, I don't, it was just messing with me as i was watching it and i was like man did they in every shot we see her in in the movie it, does she have like a digitally redone hairstyle like man it's just crazy to think like what people can do with technology these days but then also i'm like man as and again you know as someone who's a filmmaker who has dabbled in this stuff myself doing you know visual effects and I can do some kind of, you know, removal of objects and stuff like that. I'm like, I just feel bad for the poor guy who works at ILM and gets to work on (laughs) star Wars. But the guy to your right is working on the lightsaber effects for the (laughs) snow duel at the end. And the guy on your left is working on X wings and tie fighters shooting lasers at each other. And you're the poor sucker who just has to go and crop princess Leia's ponytail out of every (laughs) shot she's in. Uh, yeah, you go and tell me, hey, I work on Star Wars. Oh, what'd you do? I got rid of Leia's ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was your job title? Digital hairstylist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that deserves its own special feature. What happened to Leia's ponytail? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, for the deleted scenes, and uh, I think this is the general consensus, and I kind of agree with it. I will just say they were, they were disappointing. I mean, there's only two that I really liked and thought it would have been cool if they were in the movie of course the one with kylo ren on the falcon that was awesome just seeing his reaction as he walks through and goes onto the cockpit it was really cool and then the other one i like was the first one i think that's listed on there finn in the villager where he's meets a jakku villager trying to escape and he's just like kind of stares at her not wanting he's supposed to shoot her but he does and he lets her escape i thought that was pretty cool but the rest uh, they're kind of forgettable and the one that wasn't forgettable but i think i could see why it was cut was um when Leia, we see Leia on uh, on the, the Dakar base, and she finds out, you know, what happens to Jakku Village and Poe's uh, not responding, and BB-8's uh, missing, and we see her talk to C-3PO and some of the other Resistance generals there. I could I could kind of see how it would play out in the movie, but at the same time, I think her entrance 
that we see her for the first time in The Force Awakens, it works best for her, and it kind of would have took away from that if we saw her earlier in the film. Yeah. So could definitely see why it was cut, but at the same time, story-wise, you know what you knew what the Resistance were doing at that time, was everything was going down on Jakku. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I kind of feel that same way about the the scene you're talking about with Finn and the villager. Like, I think it's kind of you know it's a nice moment, but story-wise, I don't think it's necessary because um i mean obviously you can tell he's not gonna shoot her like by this point we already know like this is the the stormtrooper who is gonna you know turn against the the bad guys and you know sort of have grow a conscience i guess um and you can tell that from the moment that his friend gets shot and he's got the blood on his helmet and he's freaking out like we don't need to see him spare somebody's life after that we've already seen you know all we need to see right there to know like this guy has suddenly become disillusioned with the whole sort of first order war machine that he's a part of yeah yeah i can see that but it's like one of those things where if they did a special edition it's like easily inserted in there and mm-hmm. it won't like add too much or take away anything it would just be something cool that's a little extra in there yeah that's true i mean it's it's definitely not like super long that it you know totally takes away from the pacing of the movie or anything it's just like again i can see why for time's sake if you're trying to just trim a minute here or there like i can see why they cut that one out and the big one, though, and I didn't know about this till later, but it's only on the digital copy, is where it's like, yeah, I could see why they deleted it, and was glad it wasn't in there. Was uh, when the stormtroopers come down to the basement of Maz Kanata's castle, they start talking to Han and Finn. It just sent really like awkward and out of place, like not the same tone of the rest of the movie. Just the jokes that they were making just weren't landing quite well. Yeah, I could definitely see why it was cut. It just yeah, it didn't fit with the overall rest of the sequence and for me just the other tone of the movie yeah where you know they're they're telling them to hand over their weapons and you know han's like okay fine chewie give him your bowcaster and then they're like oh and the other one they're like okay finn give him your blasters like yours too oh oh this one uh it's it's broken i'm like why would they care like yeah. <laughs> it's still a gun and you could be lying so they're gonna take it from you like how was that scene supposed to play out i mean that could have been where then Maz Kanata was going to use the force and like just collapse the tunnel yeah. on them. I think um, that's exactly what in it fact, was. that yeah, that was probably where that was going to be. But then I'm like, well, if that's the case, why didn't they just include that in the scene too? And you know, maybe they just never completed the special effects for that, or maybe they didn't want to have people assuming from the deleted scenes that Maz was actually force sensitive when maybe they just decided to go a different route in the story. Um, because I think, yeah, I think maybe in some interview or something, or maybe it was even in the behind the scenes stuff. Now I don't remember them talking about that in the documentary, but I remember hearing somewhere that JJ said, you know, at some stage in the the production, they actually wanted Maz to be like a force user and then decided to scale it back. And so like, she can't actually use the force, but she's just very in tune with it. Like whether because she's partially force sensitive or because she's just lived for a thousand years and you know after that amount of time you just sort of learn a lot about you know the universe and nature and whatever and if there's this magical force out there then you know you might not be able to tap into it like a jedi can but you're just sort of aware of it being there so um and to be honest i mean i i kind of like that they went that route um because even though she still is you know sort of a, a very much sort of filling in the role of like a Yoda mentor type character. Um, she's a little bit different in the sense that, you know, it's Ray learning about the force through someone who 
can't actually use the force, but just from having been an observer for so long, like still knows a lot about it. Yeah, I still get the impression that she is force sensitive. There are moments like where you can kind of tell she senses him. Like even when Han walks in, she senses him that he's there. So little yeah. things like that, and you know, this is the insight that she has when she gives Ray talks to Ray once after she touches the saber. But I, I will say too, when I was watching that deleted scene, I was waiting for that moment to come. Like, okay, this is going to be what we heard so much about of her taking out the stormtroopers, and then when it would end, it was like ah, <laughs> it could have made an awkward scene at least a little cool if we got that moment <laughs> where she crushed the stormtroopers there. But yeah. That was probably the most disappointing one to me. That was one I was kind of looking forward to seeing, but then it just didn't deliver. Mm -hmm. Well, see, here's the other thing too. And I don't, I feel like I might've brought this up before, like way back when, because just as I'm having this thought, I was like, oh, wait, I've mentioned this before. One of those weird deja vu moments. But anyway, <laughs> when, um, you know, so we, we had heard about this scene with Uncar Plot where he goes there and, you know, Chewie rips his arm out at the castle. And I'm like, the with the movie as it is right now, I'm like, you never actually see Chewie go into the castle or anything. Because the last we see of him when they land on Takodana is Han just says, you know, Chewie, stay with the ship and, you know, try to repair it the best you can or whatever. And then, you know, the First Order comes and attacks. And next thing you know, you see Han and Finn and Chewie and Maz, like, come crawling out yeah. of the tunnels and it's like wait when did Chewie get there <laughs> yeah that's a good point I never thought of that either but you just kind of accept it oh, he made his way when he saw all the fighting going on yeah well and it I mean honestly it's one of those things that like I kind of have to think about it now to even have that stick out like when I'm watching the movie it never sticks out to me like hey where'd Chewie come from because you just kind of assume with all the you know the chaos and the action stuff going on that you know they all just ended up back together trying to get away from the stormtroopers and whatnot. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then the other two, the most pointless one I think is where the doctor says, Oh, Finn will be fine. I'm like, that's it. It was like 10 seconds or something. It was yeah. like, like, okay. Um, but then the other one with the snow speeder chase, of course it wasn't completed. <laughs> so it didn't look that great at the same time too. That's another thing where maybe just would have made that action sequence at the end, maybe last a little too long. And, at the same time, too, I have never complained for more Star Wars, but it maybe would have affected the pacing if they included that. Yeah, I think it would have been just maybe one too many things going on at once. Yeah, exactly. Um, although it would kind of have connected the dots a little bit more as far as how they're getting from point A to point B. But um, I mean, because that was another one where we had kind of heard a lot about it. And obviously, like in the the art book there's a lot of concept art of these snow speeders and of you know a, a big chase sequence going on there um and so i i was kind of expecting more from it i guess i thought that maybe there were going to be like a few speeders chasing them or um and i don't remember what made me think this maybe again it could have been from a piece of concept art or something but i thought that um they were maybe going to be like going through the legs of a you know a first order like big assault walker or something like that um, but then, you know, so to see the actual scene and it's just like one speeder chasing them and then, you know, Finn just turns around and shoots it and takes it out. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't even, I mean, it, you know, it could have been kind of cool, especially cause you can tell like the visual effects and stuff on it weren't completely finished anyways. Um, yeah, they, they could have tightened that up a little bit and made it more exciting if it had been included in the, the final film. But at the same time, I'm just like, eh, I, you know, it's definitely cool to see as a deleted scene, but um, I can definitely see why they cut that as well. It's definitely not like the most exciting action scene in there. Yeah. And one thing too, I mean, most don't do this, but 
I think where Lucas went the extra mile with the prequel DVD where he completed a lot of the effect shots for the deleted scenes. Yeah. It kind of would have been nice if we got that with these ones. Like the Snow Speeder Chase would have been the perfect example. Or at least kind of where you don't see, you know, like the clock running on like the top of the screen where you see the time going for that that sequence on a few of those deleted scenes. So this made me think about where yeah, it would have been nice because you know Lucas went that extra mile for those ones for the ones he did on the prequels where they got finished and they kind of look like they could be in the movie if they wanted to. Yeah. But overall too um <laughs> another thing I was just thinking about in the journey or the secrets of the Force Awakens documentary and going back to deleted scenes, we got more shots of seeing Captain Phasma on Tokodana at the Battle of Maz's Castle. When I saw it, like, ah, where is that in the movie? Like, <laughs> or where is that on a deleted scene? Something that could get me to see Phasma in action. That I just made me a little irritated on that whole aspect of how she was in the movie, even more so. But it was cool to see more of her in the behind-the-scenes shots because, man, that costume looks so cool. <laughs> yeah. Just, there's, like, a one cool close-up shot of just the helmet sitting on a desk or a table or something. And it looks so awesome. Yeah, definitely. Man, I, I'm still curious as to, like, how they're going to use her in Episode 8. Because, I mean, I don't know. In Episode 7, like, by the end of it, it kind of seems like she's just kind of a, a throwaway character. <laughs> Literally. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> even if she survived the trash compactor, it's like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot more to her story there. Like Finn got away from her in the first order and he's going to kind of move on to bigger and better things. But at the same time, I can totally see how she'd be like, you know, really mad and wanting to get revenge on him now. So, um, yeah, I don't hopefully, know. Yeah. She becomes like his main nemesis and especially for eight. And if she continues on tonight, but throughout the rest of the story, she's the one that are like, she's the one and her and Finn are at odds with each other the most. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see where they go from there. Yeah, well, I got more cool shots of Phasma on the documentary, so that was <laughs> didn't quite make up for her lack of scenes in the movie. But it was still cool to get more shots of her. Yeah, you just get to look at her. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, um, I mean, it's just great to be able to have this movie now and watch totally. it whenever we want. Um, especially. Gotta, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, for me personally, I think. A scene in the theater, of course, is great, but like the true, I think, test of Star Wars experience for me is the home experience because that's where we're going to watch it the most and over and over again. And seeing The Force Awakens at home, it was to me even better than a movie experience because I have a pretty good setup. So I will say, not everyone is going to have like a theater type setting, but just the that intimate setting, like a small setting of seeing a Star Wars movie, having because, like I said, you know, you're going to watch it the most at home and the fact that it still holds up great and for me even better at home but just you know cements it as a, such a great star wars movie and i said this last week after i saw it like the second time at home like i'm ready to move it up a rank <laughs> to my third spot and i watched it again yesterday it's like becoming my saturday night tradition <laughs> since it's <laughs> been released i watched it the last few saturdays and yeah i think i'm ready to put it at number three now just slightly over a new hope but at the same time like i don't know if it's still because it's it's awesome and great regardless but it's still that new factor but i've seen it a bunch of times now so the newness is wearing off it's just holding up really really well as an awesome star wars movie with tons and tons of great moments so right now i think i'm gonna say it's at uh, number three in my rankings yeah i think that's still about where it's at for me um 
And yeah, I was going to say too, like I'm even starting to go through now and just get like pictures and screen grabs and stuff that I'm going to be using for making costumes for Phoenix Comic Con mm -hmm. later this summer right. and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it's great to, to be able to have it at home now and watch it over and over. I will say my one criticism about the movie itself on the Blu-ray is, um, so, you know, you've got the scene where you know, when they, when they find the Millennium Falcon for the first time in that whole chase sequence as they're escaping from Jakku, which was shot on IMAX, which yeah. obviously is a, a bigger format that fills up more of the screen. Now on some other movies, like I've got the dark Knight on Blu-ray and they filmed scenes from that movie in IMAX and on the Blu-ray, it actually, you know, those scenes on the Blu-ray also like take up your whole TV instead of having that letterbox look. And, you know, they, they still take advantage of, you know, obviously, even though your TV can't do like IMAX projection or whatever, um, just they take advantage of that bigger picture size for those scenes. And they don't do that on the Force Awakens Blu-ray for just for that sequence, leaving Jakku. Um, and so that was kind of disappointing, especially because um, I think I saw it, well, I guess three times in IMAX. Um, but really twice just on like the really big IMAX screens. The actually the first time I saw it on opening night was on one of the, like the smaller IMAX screens. Um, but I've seen it enough times that like, I'm used to seeing that scene in IMAX. And so when Ray and Finn are like running out of the gate of the Jakku village, which is like the first shot that is in IMAX in that scene. And I'm used to it, like expanding right there. And so just to see them running as the TIE fighters are shooting at them. And it was like that more cropped letterbox it just seemed kind of weird even though i only saw it like twice on the huge imax screen i was like eh, there should be more of the picture here yeah it's funny that you said that the first time i saw it i asked my brothers hey did that do you remember if it went to full screen on the falcon chase scene because i know that was shot in imax and like you know we we don't remember or didn't notice it but we watched it the next time we did tell yeah i didn't get full screen like you mentioned the dark night it was the perfect example of that because you just notice right away of how awesome those sequences look when it fills up the screen so i agree that would probably be the one little disappointment about the blu-ray because it would have been awesome if it did that because that sequence is amazing yeah and i'm wondering if they'll maybe do that for the three for the 3d blu-ray if that makes any difference but yeah. i don't know I'm, I'm probably not gonna like i don't have a 3d tv so i'm not gonna like buy it again on 3d blu-ray just for you know to see that one scene on a bigger format if they even include that but sure. that would have just been nice to have on there it would be a good excuse though to buy it again <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so okay while we're on the subject of the force awakens though um before we move on to uh the rebels finale um jj abrams was uh stirring mm -hmm. up some you know, some more theories and controversies and stuff uh, just a couple nights ago. Um, and I think he was at a film festival and he was like doing a panel on stage with Chris Rock and was talking about um, the movie. And I think either Chris or somebody in the audience asked him something about uh, Ray's parents in The Force Awakens. It was Awakens. an audience question. Um, and he just said that Ray's parents are not in Episode 7, um, which, you know, so got people talking about this a lot all over again and you know that suddenly seems to put a you know an end to a lot of the the fan theories that were out there um now at the same time i always take these kind of things with a grain of salt because it could just be misdirection he could you know by by 
parents plural he could mean just like that we don't see the two of them together so you know maybe we see her dad but not her mom um but i don't know at the same time it's like maybe ray really is just like you know this completely new character but uh, i don't know like I'm starting to kind of get the feeling that she's not Luke's daughter, but at the same time, just the, you know, the whole force vision scene with the lightsaber, I'm like, she's got to be connected to the Skywalker family somehow. And at this point, I'm like, I'm feeling a little less certain that she's Luke's daughter. I'm pretty sure she's not Han and Leia's daughter. And I'm just like, what else could she be? Yeah, man. <laughs> JJ created a fun night for Star Wars fans this past Friday. <laughs> uh, getting to see people's reaction and talking to different people about it. It was quite the, the night. Well, but for me, when I first heard that comment from him, I was thinking to myself, well, I mean, he's probably a spur of the moment type question. He didn't say exactly what he meant. And, you know, he's kind of said that maybe accidentally. But at the same time, I thought, well, why would he say that? Though? Why would he make it a point to say that? Because the way he ended the question was that, oh, Ray's kind of wondering that too. And I thought, well, wait, he could have just said that. But no, he had to say they weren't in episode seven. That's what really got me thinking, well, okay, there might be some truth to that. And maybe it is the more likely outcome. And of course, later on after, you know, some fans were up in arms about it. Some fans were rejoicing about it. Um Entertainment Weekly got a clarification quote from JJ, and he said, what I meant was that she doesn't discover them in Episode 7, not that they may not already be in her world. So he did clarify that and kind of put things back to square one, really, where it's open for speculation over again. But at the same time, is he just backtracking and kind of <laughs> saving himself from what he said, even though it's true? Or he was just kind of saying something at the spur of the moment and didn't really mean that, and this was actually it. So... As it comes down to, we still don't know, but like you, Kyle, I'm kind of preparing myself for that outcome being more of a reality where she might not be related to Luke or anyone in the Skywalker line. And I got to prepare myself because, like, you know, I've been on that she's Luke's daughter camp for so long and I really <laughs> want that to take place. So, but like I said, we don't know what's going to happen. I kind of have to prepare myself. But it just goes back because, like, it just brings back all the speculation and theories and stuff that we've seen in The Force Awakens, where, especially now watching it on Blu ray, and we can watch it anytime now, there's just so many hints in The Force Awakens that just lead you to believe that she would still be a Skywalker. And I think that's important because the Skywalker line, there's, for me anyway, this is how I view it the Star Wars story and the Skywalker is that. The Skywalker family is special, we know that, and that there is no other type of Force user that can be like the Skywalkers. They're, they're on like another level. They're special. And what we see Rey do in The Force Awakens, I think, is special too, and that would line her up to being a Skywalker. And then you brought up a great point too, but the thing I keep going back to is the lightsaber. That's the most important lightsaber in history of Star Wars. There's just so much legacy to that. And Maz Kanata made a point to say it's Luke Skywalker's and his father's before him. And now it calls to you. So to me, it would just, they're adding those legacy stuff to that where it's like it's being passed down. And if anything, I thought, well, if she wasn't going to be a nobody, she would have just said, oh, that's Luke's old lightsaber. Why would she mention Anakin? And at the same time, why would they really have that lightsaber in the movie? Because really, if she's 
uh, not re- part of the Skywalker line, and she just, you know, the new hero in the story being brought up. It could have been any old lightsaber. The it kind of the importance of the lightsaber in that movie to me loses some significance if she's not a Skywalker because that lightsaber is it, it's all what makes it special to me is that it's part of a family and it's been passed down from Anakin to Luke and now to Rey. So that's why. I, I think that lightsaber holds so much importance that to the Skywalker name and family that it would make sense for you know why Ray pulled it out and why she it called to her in her castle. That's a big thing. It, it, why would any older old lightsaber just do that? And why would Luke's lightsaber or you know, the Skywalker lightsaber do that if you know she wasn't part of that Skywalker line? So those type of things that gets me thinking that it just makes so much sense that she would be a Skywalker and that. It's what I'm hoping for. But at the same time, too, I will say, not to get into a bunch of different theories here, but I've been going over some like theories and ideas in my head in case she wasn't a Skywalker, but at the same time, that would still have the Skywalker name be of importance <laughs> throughout the Star Wars saga. That kind of makes me feel a little better about it, and maybe it could be something kind of cool, but I don't know. There's just a lot we still don't know, and... It's still going to be a long wait until we finally get that answer. So mm-hmm. that's the tough part. We're still going to be waiting for a long time. But hopefully it's episode eight. I don't see how they can drag this out for a few more years because fans are going crazy <laughs> enough just trying to figure this out. So hopefully if we don't find out who her parents are, we'll at least get a definitive answer if she is a Skywalker or not. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I definitely think we'll get more information and we'll get some answers in episode eight. But... I'm also getting the sense that, I mean, just because this is like such a big mystery, I don't think we'll find out who, well, uh, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't think we'll find out who her parents are until episode nine, but if Luke is her father and he's going to be like a main character in episode eight and is going to be training her as a Jedi and we're going to see those two characters together a lot, that would be really weird for him to wait until episode nine to tell her that he's her dad. Um, Yeah. And you brought up another point. You said the word mystery. I still can't think, like, why would they bother to keep it a mystery if her parents are just these brand new characters? Why not establish that already? To me, it's doing a disservice where you're keeping a mystery this long and people are theorizing. Even just general audience people, and people always, I hear too, saying, like, right after the movies that, oh, she's Luke's daughters, right? So everyone's kind of drawing to that already. And I think it might disappoint a lot of the general audience. Uh, fans who are just going to see the movie that she's not related to Luke, but it's like, why would they keep it a mystery if it's these brand new characters? It doesn't make to me. It doesn't make sense that they would keep it a mystery for this long and have it be such a big deal. And then you're hearing quotes from uh, Colin Trevorrow a few months ago saying how it's going to be something very satisfying for the fans. Like you're, they're going to like what the reveal of Ray's parents going to be. So. I don't mm-hmm. see how it could be like that level of satisfaction if these these brand new characters and she's just someone new uh, who's able to you know use the force. So I don't know. Well, <laughs> so here's much the thing: that goes I, against it for me. I was about to bring up that same quote by Colin that um, you know him saying it's going to be like a a really satisfying answer for the fans. So if if it does end up that she's not Luke's daughter or she's not a Skywalker, I do kind of trust them to come up with some sort of interesting story around it. I mean, if her parents are, you know, these quote unquote new characters, I don't think they're just going to be like two random people who had a kid and she happened to be force sensitive. Like when we find out the answer to this question, it's not just going to be like, 
oh, I guess that's it. Like, whether it's Luke or whether it's somebody else, it's going to make us go like, oh, like there's going to be some kind of bigger mystery revealed here. Because from that flashback sequence, I mean, obviously she, so, I mean, things that we do know from episode seven, she has some kind of connection to Kylo Ren because we see him a lot in her flash, flashback sequence and also you know, every time somebody mentions to him, like, oh, the droid escaped with a girl and suddenly he's on edge and like force choking yep. people and like, what girl? Like he knows who she is. Um, and there is some past connection between the two of them. And he I, I'm starting to think more and more that he may have been the one who dropped her off on Jakku um, as a kid. Um, and I don't know why, but like I said, there's there's just some sort of connection there. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, even if like, if her parents are new characters, maybe Kylo Ren killed them. Maybe they were Jedi who trained with Luke or something like, I, I don't know exactly how it's all going to tie in. Um, and again, you know, just can't wait to find out eventually, even though, like I said, I, I probably think it won't be till episode nine that we finally get all the answers revealed there. But, um, I mean, I, I do think that, I mean, even though, like, it's easy for me to say right now that I hope she's Luke's kid and that I, I see that being like the only good outcome, but I can also totally see that, like, if they do something that as of now we think might be disappointing, like if she comes from somewhere else entirely, um, or her parents are, you know, two characters that we've never met before, I still think that it's going to tie into, you know, the the greater overall story of the Skywalker family and that it's going to be, you know, her parents are going to be people who, you know, were connected to some bigger events or connected to some bigger characters or something and that it's it's all going to be woven together nicely um, and that it's still going to be something that, you know, like we said, is, is going to be a satisfying answer for the fans and is, um, you know, definitely going to be like a, a satisfying reveal and not just like, oh, I guess that's it. Yeah, and that's I mean, as much as I'm really hoping that she is part of the Skywalker family. If not, I do have total confidence in the team at Lucasfilm and the story they've created with this. Because, I mean, what we saw with The Force Awakens, I mean, I talked about how it's my third favorite Star Wars movie right now. It's great. So I there's nothing for me to doubt that they're going to come up with something creative and something good that would make sense. But like you said, it's just not just these random characters. And you're like, oh, okay, that's it. I'm still going to give them the benefit of the doubt with his not being she's not a skywalker because yeah they they haven't given us any reason to not trust them in creating something in a great story so far so we'll have to see if that's the case but again yeah it's just <laughs> something we're gonna have to be dealing with uh for in these next few years and hopefully we'll get some type of clarification clarification for it in episode eight but another thing i just want to say too about it because you get some people's reaction saying that oh, she's a Skywalker, it kind of lessens her character as being like, you know, a strong, independent female character who's able to do all these great things on her own. If she's a Skywalker, it kind of just ties her down a little bit. Or at the same time, too, sure, she's less important if she's not a Skywalker and that lessens her character a bit. But for me, I don't think that's the issue. She's a great character already. That's already been established at The Force Awakens. And no matter what history we get, of her parents, it's not going to affect how great of a character she was in The Force Awakens, and I'm sure what she's going to be in Episode 8 and 9. So to me, that's never not the issue of how it's going to affect her character. To me, it's mainly the importance of the Skywalker 
line as as a family and how uh, there it's used throughout the galaxy because the Skywalker names play the, the most important parts of the Star Wars history that we've known so far. They've been involved in it, and I think it feels only natural that it would continue in the sequel trilogy for the big events that we're going to have coming up because you know Rey's going to be at the forefront of that. So that's why I think it's important that she would be a Skywalker because. That the Skywalker name carries so much weight, plays such a big part in the, I guess you could say, the Force's plan in the universe. So, and I guess I'll just go ahead and say one theory I have for if she's not a Skywalker, but how it can kind of somehow work with the Force as far as using the Skywalkers. One thing I was thinking of is what if the Force has kind of, you know, like had it with the Skywalker <laughs> family line because Anakin went to the dark side, Luke wasn't able to successfully bring back the Jedi Order. Ben Solo went to the dark side and eliminated them. So it's like maybe the Force realized it's time to, you know, get a new, I don't know, legacy or lineage started somehow uh, in a different direction. And whether it's going to be, you know, a Force birth again, like it did with Anakin, or it's some, it somehow chose another family to bring apart a, a new special Force user. But at the, the thing that where I think it can make it work, where she would still be trained by a Skywalker, where we know mm-hmm. she's going to get a bulk of her force training from Luke. So a Skywalker would play an important role as far as bringing up this new generation or this new lineage of an important force user, user into the galaxy and thus you know, still playing an important role as far as the grand scheme of things that the force has. So that, to me, sounds pretty cool. But at the same time, it's, it's like my... Uh, runner up for what i want yeah this new contingency plan exactly yeah i'm still hoping for she's a skywalker but if they went that route that that could kind of work for me yeah get used to it but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world well i mean i completely agree with what you were saying before about just the the skywalker family line and stuff and i mean i've heard those same complaints from people saying that you know, they'd rather just have Ray be her own independent character and that, you know, oh, it's this huge galaxy and there's so many people and realistically, like, why would the Skywalkers be the only ones who could ever, you know, save the day? And, you know, there's so many other people out there who were, uh, you know, talented in the force and, you know, deserve their own stories and whatever. And I'm like, okay, from a, a realistic point of view, yes, that's true, but... I mean, these are movies, it's storytelling, it's fiction. And, you know, from my view, like the and, you know, not even just from my view, but like sort of from a a factual point of view in terms of just what these movies are about, like episodes one through six, it's the Skywalker family story. Um, And so, you know, I kind of want them to continue that. And, you know, I mean, we're going to have the standalone films to tell stories about all these other great heroic characters who are you know, sort of either totally unrelated or at least just sort of tangential to the whole Skywalker family line. But, you know, to have the main episodic trilogy or the the main episodic saga be focused on, you know, sort of the the Skywalker family and that lineage, um, I think is just sort of a a great, you know, legacy and trend sort of for, for the movies to follow. Now, can, you know, again, if they want to deviate from that and, you know, sort of go in a different direction and have Ray be sort of the beginning of a new line of characters that aren't connected to the Skywalkers, like, yeah, sure, that could still work. But as of right now, you know, I'm, I'm still hoping that is a continuation of that family legacy. Yeah, and it could be something, maybe this is what they want to do, where they really want episode nine to be, you know, the final chapter on the Skywalker uh, saga in Star Wars. Like, that's it. And then anything going forward where 
be new characters. And if Ray is um, someone who's not part of the Skywalker family line, it will continue on with her legacy from that. So maybe this is like their chance of you know putting the final stamp on the Skywalker story, like once and for all. Where because you know because we do got Kylo Ren, he's the family link right now. But you know, part of me thinks where they wouldn't want to end the Skywalker name by someone who went to the dark side and I don't think he's coming back from it after killing Han Solo he's I think full on to the dark side and he's probably going to be killed in episode 9 without being redeemed so it's going to end with him afterwards and because if Ray's not Luke's daughter I don't think they're going to bring in some long lost child of his if it's not her so mm-hmm. that's going to be it for the Skywalker line so maybe this is kind of how they want to put an end to it to have it you know Luke's still there to continue on the next generation of Jedi through Rey and I guess the next special family that's going to be associated with the Force, but yet it's being brought on still through Luke. So that could be how they want it to go with it. We'll have to find out till nine. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I just like I said a little earlier, where I have do have confidence in the team they put together the stories they have here. I think we are going to get something that's going to make sense. It's this might be something that we'll have to get used to if we're we're part of you're like me and wanted to be a, a Skywalker. This might be something yeah, it might seem weird at first, but maybe it'll be so good that you'll get used to it eventually and accept it how it is. Yeah. Like I'm sure either way it's you know, they're gonna make an awesome story out of it. But um obviously, you know, this has got us talking again and you know, got tons of other people talking again. I don't think I even heard that you know, that article where uh JJ sort of backtracked on it or went and clarified it, but um it's good to kind of know that, I, I mean, that maybe puts my mind at ease a little bit more um, in terms of like not having to suddenly think like, oh, well, if she's not a Skywalker, then what is she? It's like, oh, well, she still could be. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, everything's um, still on the table right now. <laughs> yeah. Got a little dicey there, though, on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, like, that's where I like it is where everything is back on the table and everybody's free to, you know, have their own theories and speculations and stuff. Yeah. So I think we've, uh, you know, talked quite enough about Rogue One and The Force Awakens. Um, now, lastly, let's move on to the just absolutely mind-blowing season two finale of star wars rebels twilight of the apprentice um man i'll I'll just start off by saying this i mean we were hugely anticipating this because it was going to be the final you know the the showdown that we've all been building up towards and looking forward to between ahsoka and darth vader and when we finally got to see it i mean it did not disappoint it was awesome it was epic it was dramatic but Darth Maul almost stole the show from those two. Like, he was so good in that episode. And, I mean, man, like, it was almost unexpected. I mean, we knew he was going to be in that. But, I mean, he really was it was just better than, than anticipated for me. And, I mean... Interesting. I've, well, I mean, it was just weird. Like... I really liked Darth Maul anyway, and you know I thought they did a great job with him in Clone Wars, and so I was excited to see him again in Rebels. But I guess I just maybe wasn't expecting him to do that much, um, because I thought he was kind of ca- going to kind of get overshadowed by the whole Vader Ahsoka conflict, and I was like, man, how are they going to work Darth Maul into all this? But he really was 
I mean, he he had a much bigger role to play in that episode than Vader did. Vader only showed up in like the last 10 minutes and fought Ahsoka. Um, but they basically used Darth Maul as, okay, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, um, they, they basically use him to dispatch all the Inquisitors and sort of clear up that problem yeah. of, you know, having all these, uh, you know, all these different Inquisitors coming after the heroes. And, you know, they've been making a point to have like, Kanan and Ezra being like, okay, we shouldn't kill anybody because, you know, we're, we're rebels, but we're still, you know, we're not trying to take lives and stuff. Where I think it's kind of a different scenario when you've got like these Jedi hunters with lightsabers coming after you and trying to kill you. Um, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do yeah. <laughs> to defend yourself there. But I mean, when you can have Darth Maul come in and just like brutally slaughter all these people, it's like, well, why not let a bad guy do all the killing for you? Well, Darth Maul definitely disappoint. Well, I'll, I'll definitely agree there, but um, I can't quite say he almost stole the show because once Vader and Ahsoka came up, it shot to a whole other level. But having Maul involved in this finale just what's makes it's a part, big part of why it made it so special. He was handled so great, and again, brilliant job by Sam Witwer voicing Darth Maul. This is the introduction to him as a frail old man. I mean, I'm sure you got the Yoda vibe from him. Too. Oh yeah, totally. Which is kind of weird seeing that come from Maul and a dark side user. Well, I mean, I th that was totally intentional too, because they yeah. had he, he echoed some of the same lines even where he's like, "Oh, please put away your your weapon. I'm not going to harm you" or yeah. something like that. Um, and I, I loved seeing sort of like those the two sides there of him, and it was, I mean, it's really sort of similar to how. Yoda plays out in Empire Strikes Back, where you see Maul at the beginning, and he's like you said, just sort of this frail old man. And then obviously later, once he reveals himself, you see he's obviously much more powerful than that. But at the same time, um, and, and I feel like it, it's kind of the same thing with Yoda in Empire when he's in exile on Dagobah. Obviously, he's not like the crazy little hermit that Luke meets at the beginning, except I think that wasn't like completely a fabrication. You know, I, I think like maybe, you know, being in exile in a swamp for 20 years, maybe he did kind of start losing his mind just a little bit, but then you obviously see that like when it comes down to it and he's got to train Luke, like he still has that, you know, the, the wisdom and the, the force knowledge and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's just like, you know, th there's maybe like a little bit of truth to that. And I feel like it's the same way with Maul. Like when you see him all frail and old at the beginning, obviously he's kind of trying to just, make nice with Ezra and, you know, gain his trust. And he's not really that old and frail, but at the same time, he is kind of, you know, uh, fallen from where he was before. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of this fallen former Sith Lord or whatever. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, obviously he's not as weak as he appears to be, but it, it would have been, been interesting to see, like, if he had gone toe to toe with Vader, like how easily would Vader have dispatched him? Because yeah. um, <laughs> like it, in some of the, the interviews and stuff afterwards, Dave Filoni said the original concept for this episode was that they wanted it was just sort of a, a geek out moment between him and Simon Kinberg. And they're like, let's take a break from the ghost crew and just have an episode where we see Vader and Darth Maul fight. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm assuming had that been the case, we would not have seen Maul walk away from the episode or fly away as the case ended up being. But um, it probably would just would have been a way to wrap up that loose end of what's Darth Maul still doing out there and have an awesome lightsaber duel between him and Vader and have Vader get rid of him. Um, but now we've still got Maul 
out there somewhere as a, a potential, um, you know, villain in future seasons. But, um, yeah, I mean, man, I just thought he was, he was handled so well, you know, showing, you know, him kind of showing different sides of his personality. Um, and then of course, just, you know, the, the duels and the fight scenes and stuff were awesome. Now I did say he almost stole the show. I did not say he did steal the show because <laughs> once we got to that Vader and Ahsoka fight, then that was just, I mean, it was incredible. Um, I, I still feel like the, the animation and the fight choreography and stuff on rebels. Like, I don't know if, if that moment itself as a lightsaber duel, like if I can say it was as good as like the Sidious fight from Clone Wars or something like that, but just as a dramatic moment, um, it's certainly probably the greatest of the series and up there with, you know, the greatest emotional moments of the star Wars saga. Um, it, it was just some, some incredible chill inducing stuff right there. I mean, this moment has been, you know, for us fans who've been with the Clone Wars from the movie back in 2008, it's like all led up to this moment, it's like eight years in the making. And that's a pretty tall feat to deliver on it. And boy, it delivered. I, I would say exceeded on my expectations from the dialogue they had to each other, the fight itself, how it ended, uh, just everything worked so good. And man, you knew it was coming. We've seen someone in the trailer, but Darth Vader's entrance was perfect on that tie fighter. Oh, yeah. And even his dialogue with Ezra was great. I mean, Ezra's saying he's not afraid. He says, then you'll die braver than most. And he just you know, breaks his lightsaber. And then when Ahsoka comes, uh, it's so great. And seeing their interaction to, with each other. And Ahsoka still, you know, once she sees him, I mean, we knew in the episode uh, where she was in the Jedi Temple and saw the vision where it was Anakin. She, but when she saw him face to face, she still had that. Uh, notion where no this can't be Anakin like then Darth Vader like, he had another great line where he says Anakin Skywalker was weak so I destroyed him and uh, it was pretty cool how uh, it was also brought to the attention that that's pretty similar to what Kylo Ren said about Ben Solo mm-hmm. and I think Dave Filoni says that it wasn't intentional because of that but regardless it's still just a nice callback and being his grandson, kind of being in a similar situation, he would say something like that. So that was really cool. And then, uh, I guess we should just get into the best moment of the. Yeah. Well, entire... just real quick. I mean, okay, uh, about that Vader line where he says, "You know, Anakin Skywalker is dead." That also kind of gives more credence to Obi Wan telling Luke that Vader betrayed and murdered his yeah. father. And now we know, like, not only does Obi Wan see it that way, but like Vader sees it that way. Yeah, that is a good callback too. But yeah, the greatest part of the episode and probably what puts this not just a great episode of Rebels, but just great Star Wars in general, where Ahsoka comes, whereas Vader is put it, pulling Ezra, trying to get that holocron. I mean, when you saw Ahsoka running up, did you think, oh, this is it, Vader's going to stab her <laughs> like right through the chest, and that's it for Ahsoka? At least that's what I was kind of thinking was going to happen. I was preparing myself, oh, it was going to be it for Ahsoka, but no, that's... That was the expected thing, and they did the unexpected, which turned out to be even better. She <laughs> so awesome seeing her climb, like do a jump like on his chest and just slash open his mask. And what was really cool is you heard so awesome, I think, at James Old Jones through the voice because he had pretty much the same scream he had once uh, Luke chopped off his hand. That ah, as he falls down, it was just so similar to that. It was just so cool to hear that. And boy, <laughs> the moment that just got everyone, I'm sure, hearing Vader say. Ahsoka with Matt Lantern mixed in with James Old Jones voice. 
man, t- talk about chills. I had to put a jacket on. I got so cold. <laughs> so many awesome man. stuff. Oh, it was so great. Well, for, I mean, and for me, it was the moment right after that. I mean, that was cool, but that was just kind of the one that, like, at least for me, just sort of made my ears perk up. Like, you see Ahsoka jump off him and slash him, and you're like, holy crap, what just happened? And then you hear, you know, him say Ahsoka, and it's like, oh, crap, like, you know, you can tell it was kind of the, you know, she must have damaged his mask because you can kind of hear part of his regular voice coming through. And it's like, was that, you know, Matt Lanter's voice? Um, but it was still, like you said, kind of mixed in with James Earl Jones or at least sort of like more processed to to sound more like Vader. Um, but then you see, you know, he turns toward her and she's like slashed off part of his helmet. So you can actually see just like a sliver of his face and you can see his eye inside the mask and i mean man it looks like anakin's face right out of clone wars yeah. it's insane um the one thing i'll say about this i don't know if it bugged you a little bit that he still had his eyebrow it didn't really bug me just because and i i've read an interview uh, and i'll probably mention this again later but um dave filoni did an interview with ign.com right after this episode and he used to do this like for every season finale of clone wars too where they yeah. just do like a big in-depth interview that's like four or five pages long and you know they talk about everything from the season finale and the season in general and you know things about what to expect going into the next season and that's just always a great read so if you haven't read that you know read it yet i would definitely recommend going and checking that out um but one of the things he said in there was that they basically were aware of that they were like we knew that you know in the canon or whatever that Vader is supposed to have all his hair burned off. And that, you know, when he takes his mask off at the end of return of the Jedi, you don't see his eyebrows, but still like they felt like it just worked better for the animation and that it looked better. And I, I can't blame them for that just because, I mean, it looked so incredible. And like I said, it looked, I I think it was better for this moment between these two characters. Mm -hmm. Like if it were Kanan, or somebody like slashing his helmet, I would have thought like, okay, no, keep it as close as possible to the Vader that we know from Return of the Jedi as far as how he looks under that helmet. But just the fact that it was Ahsoka slashing that helmet and underneath you basically see, and it looked like Anakin from the Clone Wars aged a little bit more and, you know, with his eye like Sith yellow. Um... It was just, you know, so perfect. Um, And then, you know, of course, she says, like, I'm not going to leave you, not this time. And he says, and and this time, without any filter, without any James Earl Jones, it's just Matt Lanter's Anakin voice coming out of Darth Vader's helmet saying, then you will die. And it was just (laughs) like, I just got chills up my legs saying that right now. Like, it was... Oh my gosh, like Yeah, I'll be honest, uh, I was not expecting all that to go down in this episode. No. I, just you know, they'll have a cool fight and some cool dialogue with each other and then Vader will more than likely end up killing Ahsoka, but this just packs such a much more of an emotional punch to especially uh, like I said, because us fans who watched Clone Wars for so long these past 8 years and you just really got invested in Ahsoka and the relationship she had with Anakin as her apprentice that man, it really hits you hard when you see that face and he says those lines. And I, I love the Ahsoka's lines there too, where there's still a part of her that feels 
responsible that he did become Darth Vader. Where it's probably not the case, but she doesn't know that. She feels that if maybe she was there, she could have prevented him from going to the dark side. So now she really has that guilt feeling in there and wants to still help him. So yeah, oh man, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- it was crazy. And because even when when she slashes his helmet and he he calls out to her and says Ahsoka, I think in that in in that same interview, Dave Filoni said that. Um, they wanted to be very particular that Ahsoka wasn't going to, like, she couldn't be the one to redeem Anakin because that was, you know, nobody could do that except for Luke. So she couldn't, like, you know, stir up any feelings in him or anything or have him, like, start turning back toward the light. Except he said, you know, there's, there's just that very brief moment where... You know, like I said, where where it's just him calling out to her, and he said that was sort of supposed to be like the maybe the the good side of him, I guess, like whatever was left of Anakin Skywalker that was sort of trapped inside of of Darth Vader that was sort of calling out to her, um, and not necessarily emerging or coming through or like overpowering the the evil side of him, but it was just maybe you know just like the the briefest glimpse that anakin was still in there yeah Um, he said too it was an interview on rebel force radio where he said that that came out because he kind of said the same thing but it was mainly because out of a state of shock that that just happened to him where she sliced his helmet his mask off and like his face is exposed so like that split second of shock anakin was there for a little bit but it wasn't like he said because oh it's ahsoka and there's a part of her that still you know has like feelings for her as an apprentice and someone he was close to it wasn't that that at all it was just like because of what happened to him just kind of took him by surprise and that's why it came out for that split second right there Mm -hmm. yeah and i thought it was perfectly done um because even I mean, I, I mean, it's it's hard to explain, but like, I think from a, a story perspective, for Ahsoka to stir that in him just a little bit, I think does sort of make sense. Like, I, I almost do sort of like the idea that she would obviously not be the one to redeem him, but at least maybe be the first one to see that there's even a possibility that he could be redeemed, even if it's only through his love for his own son that he, that, that would ever even be possible. Um, but you know, for, for Ahsoka, just to see that briefest glimpse of who he used to be, um, because, you know, she was obviously one of the the closest people to him and it left such an impact on him when she left. And, you know, just obviously, like you said, we, we've seen so much of their relationship and their development over the course of the Clone Wars and stuff. I mean, but I mean, this was something that like, I never, I, I didn't see that coming at all. And it was just so well executed and and so you know it just had so much dramatic impact to it it was just ah so awesome yeah it's like now that we've seen it you can't imagine it going down any other way now like it had to be that (laughs) the way they did it it was just so perfect but and then that of course (laughs) leads to the big question though uh what happens next with the what happened in that fight you know Dave Filoni, as he always likes to do, <laughs> likes to keep things vague and not answer anything, but leave some bits and clues on there. But uh, people have had different responses to this. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, there are people who think she's dead, and there's people that think she's still alive. But for me, I taking that it was pretty obvious that she's still alive. I mean, there's that shot we see. It's definitely her. I mean, they could try to hide it the best they can, but it's her walking down those steps. But I mean. 
there's leads to some other questions too, as far as like, you know, what actually she's doing there, or if she's alive but yet not herself. So, mm-hmm. uh, when you first saw the ending, were you disappointed it was open ended like that, or expecting some kind of like uh, resolution to her story once and for all, or did you like that it was still open ended? Because for me personally, I'm glad it's open ended. I'll get into that a little later. But I'm well, what you thought. okay, here's the thing, I. <sighs> It's hard to say. I mean, I wasn't disappointed with it. I mean, it's it's hard to say that because, I mean, it was just such a great episode. And I'm sure, you know, obviously after after that incredible display there, like if there's room for them to tell more stories with her down the line, then, you know, I'm, I'm sure those are going to be awesome as well. But I guess I, I sort of was hoping for a bit of a definitive uh, conclusion here. Um, or at least a definitive answer one way or the other as to like whether she's still alive or not. And now, you know, I'm like, I'm also thinking that she probably is still alive, but they're kind of trying to toy with this a little bit and not say for sure one way or the other. Um, but it was just, there was so, so much dramatic buildup here. Um, that like, I, I almost wish, and I hate to say this, but like, I almost wish Vader had killed her. Like, just because I feel like it would have been like a, a great definitive ending for the character. And, um, you know, again, there's just been so much buildup to it this whole season. And, you know, people have been saying in interviews like Dave Filoni, especially that, you know, when Ahsoka fights Vader, like it's not going to end well. Cause obviously we know Vader doesn't die. Like he's still, you know, in the original trilogy and everything. Um, and also, I mean, just watching those last few moments of the episode unfold, just like the end of the fight, and I was wondering how it was all going to go down. Because the other the other thing, I mean, as far as my expectations going into the episode, on the one hand, I couldn't really see how Ahsoka was going to walk away from it. Like, I thought she was probably going to die in this episode. But at the same time, I'm like, there are a lot of fans who love Ahsoka. There are a lot of young girls who look up to her as a role model. And it's a kid's show that's, you know, rated Y7 and comes on Disney <laughs> XD. Like, how are they going to kill off such a such a beloved character and not have it be, like, super traumatizing for kids or, like, super sad or whatever? So it was like, I couldn't see them not doing it, but I was also kind of having trouble picturing like how they were going to do it. And so once you saw that temple, you know, close and then like the big explosion happen, and then you just see Vader walking away from the wreckage, I thought that was going to be it. And I thought, okay, that's a perfect way to do it. Like just the, the motion, the, the emotional buildup and, you know, just sort of that, that final climax there, like we were just talking about where she, she slashes Vader's mask and everything. Um, I mean, that was sort of the, the emotional high point for me. And I was like, okay, after this, like, I'm good. Like, and, you know, and again, just sort of the, the way that they sort of closed it off after that and like Kanan and Ezra get away and then you just see the temple explode and I was like for all we know I mean obviously a it looks like that explosion would have wiped them both out but we know Vader doesn't die so at first I was actually kind of mad because I was like is that just gonna be it and they're gonna say that Ahsoka died in there but like how did she die and Vader not die like I I was really afraid that it was gonna like end right there and that was gonna be the last we were gonna see of it but then when it came back to it later and you just see Vader walking away from the wreckage, 
I thought like, oh, that would just be a perfect ending that we can just assume that, you know, two people went in there, only one came out. We don't need to see or know exactly what happened. Like, that's just a fitting end right there. But then it continues on after that. And you see Ahsoka walking down and I was like, oh, I was preparing myself for this emotional conclusion. And now it's still not a conclusion. So, uh, I don't know. Like, on the one hand, for, for a character that I love so much, like, I can't really be mad that she's not dead because, you know, I hope we still get some more great stories with her in the future. But at the same time, it just felt like one of those things where it would have been, like, a, a perfect conclusion for it, and now they're still just continuing it on. So, um, I don't know. I guess I'm still kind of on the fence about it. I mean, I loved the episode itself. I'm not, you know, like, even if I were sort of disappointed that, that we didn't get a... Um, you know, definitive answer there, it still wouldn't be enough to like bring down the whole episode for me because there's just so much great stuff in there. But, and as far as just that ending itself, I guess I'm still kind of on the fence about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I, I'm happy with the way it ended and kind of how it's open-ended. And here's why, it's a big reason for me, because I think Ahsoka as a character, I would have been a little disappointed if this is how she died. And the reason is that because while Star Wars does have tragic moments and tragic characters, Anakin being there first and foremost, I don't think oh, Ahsoka should fall into a character who has a tragic ending this way. And I, the reason I say that is because what she went through in the relationship we've had with Anakin, I think she deserves to somehow find out about Luke and that there is hope for Anakin, whether it's not going to be through her, but through his son, maybe she sees, you know, what kind of Yoda and Obi-Wan do that there is hope. Well, Obi-Wan and Yoda want Luke to kill Vader, but so maybe that's not the hope that I have in mind for her, but maybe she'll be the one who has it where maybe where she can't get through to him, his son will. Just I just want her to find out about Luke and that she doesn't die knowing that her master, the one she was the closest with, became this evil uh, character and there was no hope for him. She died knowing that he would be forever evil. I just hope that once I'm, or I should say, I'm glad it is open ended because it still leaves that chance for her to know about Luke and kind of have a realization that there is hope for him and that he can be turned to good. So even if she doesn't survive as we make it into the original trilogy, I do hope there is a story out there where she knows that in the end there is a chance for Anakin to become, or for Darth Vader to become Anakin, the good person that she knew. Because I think as a character, she deserves that as, as we've seen her grow through the Clone Wars. And how great of a character she has become. It kind of would have been a bummer if she did die just knowing that Anakin became Darth Vader and that's it. So I am glad that it is open-ended and there's a chance for that. And Dave Filoni did say too that her story in Rebels is pretty much over. So we might not see her yeah. at all. Or maybe just very little at the end of something of season three or the end of the series. I don't know. But he did say there will be, you know answers and resolution to what happened to her. He says we will find that out. It's just a kind of a question of how or where and when like is it going to be through the book comic or my ultimate hope is that it's a animated movie if it's just a direct to blu-ray type thing which i'm dying for lucasfilm to get into that market because that'd be awesome then maybe that could be the launching point of their like direct to video uh star wars movies and have the story about ahsoka kick that off that would be awesome so i'm just glad there's an opportunity there for her character to have a more satisfying ending for me anyway and to have it where, you know, she'll find out that Anakin or Darth Vader can be redeemed in the end. So that's why I'm glad it had that open-ended uh, ending. But at the same time, too, 
Dave Filoni made hints as far as how she might still be alive or come back because he's made comparisons to Gandalf and Lord of the Rings is how he comes back <laughs> kind of, you know, he's still Gandalf, but he's not really Gandalf. He is different. And that kind of relating that to Ahsoka too. And of course the big thing that I've seen a lot of speculation on this and it makes too much sense <laughs> where the sister on Mortis is going to play a big part in this, where we saw Anakin brought Ahsoka back to life through, through this, the daughter, I should say, I think I said the sister. So her, the daughter and Ahsoka are connected through the force in some way. And I think that's going to play a factor where if she did die, but yet somehow survived without Vader knowing it's because of this, the daughter somehow being still a part of her. And I saw on Twitter, someone posted this great comparison shot where, uh, you know, the birds that Dave Filoni's teased a lot in several episodes. Yeah. One of them, I don't know if it was in this episode or the previous episode before the finale where Ezra is lying down and we see those birds looking down over him. There's a shot, someone had a screenshot of the daughter and that bird side by side, and it's the exact same coloring of the daughter. Like the shades of green on its feathers and like the light skin tone that the daughter had. It's like, it's it's too much of, it's not a coincidence. It's too uh, similar for it to be anything else than a representation of her somehow. So huh. I think we're definitely, whenever that Ahsoka story does get told again, we're going to get more information about the daughter and it's going to play a factor in that. There's just no way it can now. That's very interesting because also, I mean, you even, you see that bird like, swooping down over the temple on Malachor right before you see that shot of Ahsoka walking down into it. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's been bugging me for the past couple episodes. Like why the heck do we keep seeing that bird? Like it's, you know, it seems like it's some sort of omen or something, but I'm like, I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. And you know, it, it, but yeah, I think even in some of the stuff I've read, Dave said, you know, you'll find more out, find out more about that later too as far as like what that's supposed to represent or why that's always there um so yeah that's an interesting point and yet at the same time I, those mortis episodes were so sort of subjective and um you know as, as far as like what was real what wasn't you know was it a, a dream or a force vision or an actual physical place or some sort of spirit realm or whatever like I don't know. It's all a little too nebulous for me that I don't necessarily want it to be like directly connected to actual events that happen in other parts of the story. But at the same time, I mean, it could be kind of cool to see that play back into it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That That's, you know, just one of those answers that I'm very interested to see going forward. I guess the other thing that I'm maybe a little disappointed in too, like, I mean, I'm kind of okay with the fact that like uh, where he said that Ahsoka's story on Rebels is pretty much done. But I don't know when he says just like, oh, there are potential stories we could tell in the future through, you know, other mediums or whatever. I'm like, Man, how long is that going to take? Like, does, does <laughs> yeah. that mean that there's going to be a novel or a comic series like later this year or next year? Or does that just mean like, five years from now we might get another Ahsoka story or they might just decide to say that she's dead or something like, uh, I don't know. It, it, it kind of bugs me when, um, I mean, again, like I'm, I'm kind of glad that she's still alive and that they can still tell great stories with her. But at the same time, it's like they built this up so much as like a, a, a big climactic showdown. And then it's like, Oh, you thought that was it, but it actually isn't 
but you're not going to see any more of her on here. And who knows when you are going to see her again. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. And I still think, too, when we do finally get the final answer on Ahsoka or her fate and what happens to her, I think it's something important that has to be, you know, in like the TV medium or like, you know, like I said, the direct direct to Blu-ray uh, movie, something that, you know, it's not a novel or a comic. I think it's too big to be told in one of those mediums. Cause like I said, she's a character who's become so popular as so, a big history with fans who grew up on the Clone Wars. It, it, for something that is going to be the final story, I think it should be something that's told in like on the series or in a animated movie or something. Yeah. And, and I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And then like, might have been the day after or not too long after they did announce a new Ahsoka novel that's going to come out this October. But what's cool about this one, it's going to be the story that happens to her. It tells the story of her like right uh, after this, what happens in the siege of Malak or Mandalore, that storyline that's get hinted so much now that <laughs> it's almost come to a point where I can't wait to see that either. But it's going to tell her like how she dealt with order 66, how she got involved with the rebellion kind of, everything that her reaction to the Jedi getting wiped out. So that's going to be a cool story to read. It's actually going to be, it's being billed as a young adult novel, but if it's anything like lost stars, then we're going to be in for something good. Cause that was awesome as a young adult novel. And it's going to be cool to learn that other part of Ahsoka's history through this. See now that's a medium where I think a story that fits the uh, medium of a novel where it's going to be cool to learn, but it's not going to be something so, monumental that we have to see like you know do like we would a tv show like when we would see her fate so this is has me excited for that just to get more ahsoka stories out there as we wait for what dave Filoni has plans for us so far as what her fate is after this fight with vader mm -hmm. yeah so i was just reading the press release for this book again because you were saying some of the stuff about um like the siege of mandalore and stuff and i was like i don't remember reading that that was going to be in there um, yeah, it's not going to be in there. It's just I think it's going to pick up from that, like because we know Order sixty six happens pretty much right after that. Yeah, well, I think I, I think this is going to take place more like closer to the time period of Rebels, at least from what it sounds like. Um, I think that's going to be jumping a lot. Like it's going to start from the events of Revenge of the Sith, and then maybe it'll jump a few years and maybe lead up to when uh, she reveals herself as Fulcrum or something like that. Yeah. Well, here, let me just read what it says in the press release. It says, Ahsoka Tano, fan-favorite character from Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, will be the star of her own young adult novel from Disney Lucasfilm Press this October. Uh, fans have long wondered what happened to Ahsoka after she left the Jedi Order near the end of The Clone Wars and before she reappeared as the mysterious, Fulcrum, or the mysterious rebel operative Fulcrum in Rebels. Finally, her story will begin to be told. Following her experiences with the Jedi and the devastation of Order 66, Ahsoka is unsure she can be a part of a larger whole ever again. But her desire to fight the evils of the Empire and protect those who or protect those who need it will lead her right to Bail Organa and the Rebel Alliance. So it sounds to me like this is taking place after Order 66 and probably like around the time when she first meets up with the rebels now that's not to say that it won't give us some answers just in terms of you know backstory and stuff about you know sort of where she was at around the end of the clone wars and stuff um and also something else that was awesome in this is probably my favorite part of that ign interview um is at the end uh or one of the questions they asked dave was about um like why does ahsoka recognize darth maul when they meet in rebels yeah when they've never met face to face before. Now that seemed like kind of a silly question to me because I'm like, even if they had never met face to face before, you would think that during the clone wars, when 
a, a Sith Lord that somebody cut in half 10 years ago and everybody presumed was dead, when he suddenly resurfaces and starts murdering Jedi, his face would be plastered on wanted posters all over the Jedi Temple and, you know, hologram recordings and all that kind of stuff. Like, Ahsoka would know what this guy looks like, especially being so close to Anakin and Obi-Wan and, you know, Obi-Wan being the guy who... A, fought him the first time, and B, like, Darth Maul is hunting him now and, you know, keeps coming after him. So it, it was not at all a stretch for me to believe that she would recognize him. But um, then Dave went ahead and said that they actually would have met during the Clone Wars and that the final story arc of, um, you yeah, know, basically what they had planned as, like, the Clone Wars series finale, if the, the series had gone through to its conclusion would have been uh, yeah, Ahsoka meeting back up with Anakin and Obi-Wan at some point, and like Ahsoka, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Rex planning this big assault on wherever Darth Maul was hiding, and they were going to go finally take this guy out once and for all. And right as they were about to do that, they get the call that the Chancellor had been kidnapped, and so Anakin and Obi-Wan go off to rescue the Chancellor, leaving Ahsoka and Rex and, I don't know, maybe some other Jedi or clone troopers or whatever to go and fight Darth Maul, and so that's what they would have been doing during the time of Episode Three. and I'm like, man, how awesome would that have been to see? I know, oh man. <laughs> um, and it makes perfect sense, too, because even earlier in Rebels, when Ahsoka is showing Ezra the uh, you know the hologram recording of Anakin like training in the Jedi Temple and she's talking about you know how great of a Jedi he was and he was my master and everything um, and she says the last time I saw him he was running off to rescue the Chancellor like that wasn't just something they threw in there or made up for Rebels like that's literally how it was going to play out at the end of Clone Wars if they had followed that through so yep. um, hopefully that's a story we get to see at some point too I think we have to because so many like there's been so many hints to it throughout the season of Rebels because even uh, Rex said it. When uh, the ghost crew uh, first met him, he says, oh, last, last time I saw Ahsoka Tano was the Siege of Mandalore. So, <laughs> you know, well, that was a big event. I'm not sure that that was the Siege of Mandalore. Um, I mean, just I don't think Dave mentioned that specifically when he was talking about that storyline. Those could be two different things. Because I just have a hard time believing that, especially after the Son of Dathomir comic, it seems like Darth Maul would have worn out his welcome with the Mandalorians by then. Um I, I think the Siege of Mandalore could have just been sort of dealing with the remains of the Death Watch. Um, or, I mean, it could have, it very well could have had to do with Darth Maul too. It's just, I don't know that there's enough concrete evidence yet to to put those two as the same story. Uh, um, maybe, yeah, well, I, maybe I'm just hoping that there are two separate <laughs> stories so we can milk more out of it. But Well, that would be a good reason. But yeah, I'm kind of on the thinking where they are the same story. Because like, it seems a little too cause, uh, coincidental, I guess, where the last time Ahsoka saw Anakin, she says he ran to save the Chancellor, and the last time uh, she saw Rex was the Siege of Mandalore. And that. Well, he doesn't but, say he doesn't say that was the last time. He just said I fought beside her from Christophsis to the battle uh, to the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, that's a good point too. Okay, yeah, I misremembered the exact line he said. Oh, that's true too, but. Yeah, because it seems like after, if she was with Rex when they were trying to get Darth Maul when Anakin and Obi-Wan left to go rescue the Chancellor, what 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 happened after that, as we know, in Revenge of the Sith? I'm not sure if she would have any, like, she would be with Rex anymore. And, of course, that would be another good reason to see what happens to Rex and why he wasn't there for Order 66 and 
when Anakin went to raid the Jedi Temple. So, so many cool an- story answers could have, or questions could have been answered in that arc that we didn't get. But mm-hmm. to me, it just seems like it seems where she's last saw Anakin there, and even though Rex said he fought with her until the season of Mandalore, I don't see where they could have. Well, no, I'm kind of shooting my own theory in the foot here because <laughs> if she's involved with uh, the rebels and became Fulcrum, she probably would have saw Rex after Revenge, but after Revenge of the Six, but kind of lost contact with him as we know that Wolf wasn't uh, returning her transmissions and all that. So, but it does seem likely that she would have been in contact with Rex or maybe seen him at some point after Revenge of the Six. So, maybe you're right, but I just have a feeling that. That storyline is so big that that was probably the last time we saw all of them, I guess, in active battle together, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'd, again, I just hope we get that story at some point because, man, I just want to know how that all went down. Um, because I'm thinking, like, the Siege of Mandalore also could have been before the whole Darth Maul thing. And, you know, maybe that was, like, their last big battle together. Um, and, you know, the, the Siege of Mandalore was, like, this bigger conflict. And then going after Darth Maul was, you know, could have been, like, a smaller, like, strike team operation. Um, and, you know, Rex might not have mentioned that to Kanan and the rest of them because that would have been something that, you know, maybe wasn't recorded in the history books as, like, a big battle that people knew about from the Clone Wars. Um, or, you know, there's there's any number of different ways it could have gone. Yeah. Um, um. Hopefully, yeah, Dave, please let us know the answer to this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, uh, man, and then, I mean, we haven't even touched on yet, like, any of the actual main Rebels characters yeah. in the Rebels finale with uh, Kanan and Ezra. And, um, yeah, I mean, A, seeing Ezra being, you know, sort of trained by Darth Maul and sort of tempted by the dark side, and he's got this Sith holocron now. Um, Kanan being blinded by Darth Maul, which, I mean, man, this this finale was like such a huge shakeup for everybody. Um, Freddie Prinze Jr. said that, I think, like, at the beginning of season two, too, where, like, when we get to the end of the season, no one's going to be the same. Things, like, really, like, turn the, the crew like over their heads type of thing where nothing's going to be the same afterwards. And he wasn't kidding. Yeah, definitely. Like, so Kanan is blind now. Ezra's got a Sith holocron, which I don't that... think we're going to see Ezra like completely turn to the dark side. I think it's going to be a scenario where like, and, and, and this is just my guess as of the way things are right now, they could shake it up even more going into season three. But I'm like, if things were sort of to continue the way they are now, where the ghost crew is still trying to, you know, just do their thing and fight the empire. And Kanan is still trying to do his best to like guide Ezra and teach him in the ways of the force. Well, obviously I think Ezra's going to like learn some stuff from this Sith holocron and maybe just kind of end up with like some, some darker tendencies and maybe every now and then like slip into some dark side force powers. And then Kane and will be like, Hey, don't do that. Like that's bad. And he'll be like, Hey, like shut up old man, you're blind and I've got power. And you know, these stormtroopers want to try to stop us. I'm going to use force lightning and kill them all. But he's still going to be like trying to do the right thing and fighting on the side of the rebels and like fighting against the empire. I mean, he talked so much about, in in this finale like that was one of the things he bonded with darth maul over was like how much the empire had taken from him and the sith and um you know so i I don't think he's gonna have any desire to suddenly like become darth vader's apprentice um 
But I mean, if anything, he could maybe become Maul's apprentice and they just be like out there doing their own thing. But I think he's still going to be trying to fight on the side of good, but just maybe, you know, doing like the wrong thing for the right reasons. You know what I mean? Like go, probably like taking it too far, using some extreme measures that he shouldn't be using and, you know, tapping into some some dark side force powers. And I think there'll be probably sort of an interesting power struggle between him and Kanan where, you know, Kanan still thinks he knows better and is like, hey, look, you really need to listen to me. Like, this is not good for you. And Ezra's like, I have more power than you and I don't have to listen to you anymore. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that'll be a very interesting dynamic going into season three and be possibly beyond um, if they do go beyond that. But I've also heard, well, I don't know. I Like, I've heard a lot of speculation that season three will probably be the last season of Rebels because then you know, we'll have Rogue One coming out and, you know, that'll sort of put an end to the uh, the pre-A New Hope uh, rebellion storyline. But even if that were the case, you would think that season three of Rebels would go past December anyway. So I don't yeah. know if that's necessarily the case, um, but we'll see. Yeah, just going back to the whole Ezra Kanan dynamic and the fact that him being blind now, maybe that'll cause somewhere he can't, train Ezra as well as he should and Ezra needs and maybe that causes some like frustration with Ezra maybe a little friction between them we're like just both being frustrated by now that Kanan well he'll probably be learning to use the force in new ways too now relying more on his other senses but at the same time maybe he can't train Kanan or Ezra as well as she should and Ezra has that holocron just sitting there that he was able to open which is a pretty big deal after Darth Maul saying only a Sith or those who think like a Sith can open so yeah Bunch of potential cool stuff to see in their dynamic move mm-hmm. forward for season three that I can't wait. I think it was a great move to, you know, add this new layer to Kanan as far as him being blind. Just another struggle for him to go through as kind of where he got knighted. He was kind of, you know, still not, you know, still having his issues with Ezra as far as training him, listening to certain stuff. But things are like moving in the right direction. But now this has a whole new wrinkle to it. And I do kind of like too how it was maybe a little the force vision he had in the Jedi temple with the temple guards and with the grand inquisitor there, it was a little foreshadowing to that where, because the way he picked up that, uh, the helmet that he used to defeat Maul in, it's kind of, you know, how like force vision works in mysterious ways where in some way that kind of led into, not that it caused for him being blind, but it was like a little indicator that something was going to happen because it did having that temple guard mass in that vision did play a part in him growing again as a Jedi just like facing those guards, like, uh, or at least not fighting them as they realized became allowed him to be knighted. And at the same time, kind of moving the, paving the way towards, you know, another step that he's going to have to overcome to grow as a Jedi, which is being blind. But in his first step was picking up that temple guard mask and then learning to rely on the force like he never had to before and defeat Darth Maul. So I thought that was pretty cool, kind of linking the force vision to actual reality of what happens to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then, man, even though it was short, like that fight with Darth Maul, once he put on the mask and was blind, yeah, and it was awesome. Was just you know using his hearing and his force senses and took him even, out. Like even the way he held his lightsaber too was really cool. And yeah, yeah, so much good stuff in this. And yeah, I even like too how the Sith Temple worked in two. Is just like the Sith rule of two did. I thought that was a nice touch. Or only two can. You needed two to enter in. Uh, the temple to get the holocron. I just loved all that stuff, how it all ties into the ancient Sith lore. I thought that was really cool. Man, that was so awesome. I mean, and again, as someone who's, you know, a fan of 
the the whole old republic era and just sort of the the ancient history of the jedi and the sith and everything um i mean obviously this didn't like exactly line up with you know with stuff from um the video games or whatever but just the way they depicted it all was so cool i mean just to see an ancient sith temple on malachor um and um even you know the the battleground outside where they talked about, you know, an ancient battle between the Jedi and the Sith and, uh, you know, this massive weapon firing and the Sith holocron and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I love to see. Um, and even if it's not tied to a, a specific story or character that I'm familiar with, like just seeing, I mean, like that's the, the type of stuff that I want to see more of in some of these, new Star Wars stories that they're coming out with because, again, like, so much of it has just been like, oh, let's bring people back into the the spirit of the original trilogy and just have, like, X-Wings and Stormtroopers and stuff. Like, no, I want to see, like, some crazy Force powers and some ancient Sith temples and holocrons and hear about ancient battles and stuff like yeah. that. Like, <laughs> this was, uh, it was just so cool. Um, and then plus, you know, getting a new Inquisitor and having Darth Maul come back and then the the Vader and Ahsoka showdown. I mean, it was just like nerd heaven for an hour. But here's the big question, Kyle, where are you on lightsaber helicopters? <laughs> uh, I am on the first train to Nopeville. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be a crowded uh, train station. <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness. Well, okay. I probably didn't hate them as much as some people did. Um, I still didn't like it. Um, and it was just, so the, I mean, the first time you see just the new Inquisitors, the, the eighth brother or whatever his name is, we had seen that in like the preview clip that they released before the episode came out. And it was just sort of a brief thing where he's like fighting Kanan and Ezra and then he leaps away and it's just sort of like, I mean, it, 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 he's not flying on it. It's like a force jump where he maybe uses his lightsaber to like give himself a little extra, distance or something um and i was like oh okay like that kind of looks kind of goofy but also i don't know it's kind of interesting we've never seen them do that before so i don't know I, I wasn't quite sure how i felt about it but i was like i can tolerate that but then once you see the actual episode it's just they continued to do it more and yeah. more and every time it was like come on until i remember i had a bunch of friends over to watch it um so there were like five of us there and, uh, man, every time they would do it is, you know, somebody would just be like, oh, you know, groaning about how ridiculous <laughs> it was or something. And then there's the, the one shot where, um, they're like climbing up the temple and, uh, maybe they fight off one inquisitor and then they're like, oh, more will be coming. We need to split up. And they look up and see, I think, you know, like the fifth brother and the seventh sister, and they're just like way off in the distance, just flying across the <laughs> ceiling of this big cavern, you know, like, and it's not like they're jumping or gliding or whatever. It's just, and it looks like two little red helicopters off in the distance. And we all just started busting out laughing. <laughs> like, what is this? Come on, guys. Um, but I will say the the only reason that I tolerate the existence of 
helicopter lightsabers is because I really enjoyed the payoff at the end where the eighth <laughs> brother yeah. gets his saber damaged by Kanan. And it was one of those moments where you really hope something happens and then it happens exactly the way you played it out in your mind. Like when they're, you know, they're having their duel and then Kanan damages his saber and you can see that it's kind of like shorting out and spitting sparks. And I was just like, oh, please just like turn around and jump off the ledge and try to fly away on your helicopter saber and then have it fail and just like plunge to your death. It'll be hilarious. And that's exactly what he did. And I was like, yes, it was like revenge for the fans. And I'm like, I don't know if that if they thought that would just be fun to do or if they were like intentionally trying to make us all hate them just so we would love that last moment more or like i don't know whose idea it was to come up with with helicopter sabers maybe it was just a way of having the inquisitors get around without them having to like fly tie fighters through this canyon and work out the logistics or you know this whole underground cavern and work out the logistics of like how are they going to get their ships down there and stuff but i don't know they they could have figured out a less goofy way to do that obviously but I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah, pretty much everything you said, I'm going to agree with. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Seeing it was like kind of took you by surprise. Like, huh, okay. Like, <laughs> that's different, but uh, no big deal. But then when you saw it over and over, it just got sillier and sillier <laughs> the more you saw it. So no way does it like knock any points off the episode if I had to score it or hinder my enjoyment. It's just something that you just kind of have to laugh at when you watch it. So yeah. hopefully we'd never see it again. <laughs> hopefully. I mean, it might knock off like half a point for me. Like if I was going to give this episode or, you know, a, an overall score, I'd give it like a 9.5 out of 10, like minus half a point for helicopter sabers. And then for the, the ambiguous ending that I'm still not sure about, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, and again, it's one of those things where if the episode itself weren't so great already, then I might just be like, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I even watching right now? But it was just one of those things where, I don't know, I mean, maybe they wanted to, maybe they thought kids would get a kick out of it or something. Like, maybe they did it just to sort of lighten the mood in what otherwise was a pretty dark episode. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, like I said, it's it's one minor tarnish on it. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, it couldn't be perfect, but yeah, we'll live with it. Yeah, but still, just you know, an, an awesome finale all around. Um, and I don't know. So let's let's just talk briefly, Tim, and we can wrap up here pretty soon. But what what were sort of your general thoughts on the season overall? I have to say, I really love this season, and I know it's been a mixed reaction. I know there's a lot of fans who were disappointed with it, but overall, I was satisfied with it. I mean, we they said it pretty much delivered on what they said it was going to be. It started off with a bang with the Siege of Lothal, and then seeing Rex and the other clones come back, that was great. And then they also build up, too, how we're going to learn more about each character's past, and they did that, too. And most of those episodes were good. Some of them were not. I didn't like the... First one was Sabine and her friend. That first episode just sounded a little boring to me. <laughs> it wasn't the one that was most action-packed or even that compelling with her friendship. But her other story, when they go on The Protector of Concord Dawn, that was a great episode. So for the most part, I, even though the episodes were self-contained and there was threads, you know, 
the bigger overall story of them trying to find a base and with the new Inquisitors and Ahsoka uh, dealing with, you know, with Vader. And even though they didn't spend pretty much hardly any episodes really on Ahsoka trying to investigate who the Sith Lord is, we know that she was, that's what she was doing. It didn't come to a forefront until later on. But I always enjoyed a lot of the episodes. The B-Wing episode was great. I really liked the one where, uh, uh, Rex and Kanan have to <laughs> rescue Ezra uh, from the new uh, Star Destroyer ship. I'm blanking on the name right now, but that was one of my favorite episodes of the season, seeing <laughs> Rex trying to get into Stormtrooper armor, make fun of it, how it's nothing like Clone Trooper armor. That was great. And seeing him and Kanan finally uh, respect each other was great, too. So, and Zeb had some great episodes. The Legend of the Lasat was a cool one to find more about, you know, a new wrinkle to how other species view the force, which was cool. And then also the episode uh, was him and Callus was another highlight of the season for me. Mm-hmm. That was a really good one. The honorable one. So yeah, overall I loved it. My one disappointment, I will say Rex was underused. I felt, I mean, he sounded like he was going to play a major factor in it once they got him as part of the team. And then aside from the episode I was talking about with him and Kanan dressing up as stormtroopers, he really didn't have, much to do in the rest of the season. I mean, he got captured by <laughs> those spiders and the mystery of Chopper Bays, and that was about it. I was hoping he'd play more of a pivotal role with the team and setting more up with the Rebellion. So I hope in Season 3 he'll play a bigger factor into it. That was probably my biggest disappointment of the season. Yeah, and see, I kind of felt the opposite about Rex because hmm. I... Well, just because I, like, I wasn't expecting him to factor into the season as much as he did. Um, and I guess maybe it was just from the trailers, I was just expecting there to be those couple episodes revolving around the clones, and that maybe Rex would be sort of a recurring character, but I didn't expect him to just be, like, chilling on the ghost for as many episodes as he was, and even though he didn't have, like, a huge role in a lot of those episodes, I still was like, oh, Rex is almost like a, you know, seventh member of the ghost crew now. Um, yeah. Which, which I was not expecting going into it. So that was kind of a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, so when we got the first trailer that Rex was coming back, I thought he was just going to be, you know, in those two episodes. Like, he'd have his own episodes, and then they'd go off, and that's it. But once he became part of the team, that got me excited. Okay, we're going to be seeing a lot more of him. He's going to be, like, a pivotal member, just like any of the other characters on the Ghost crew. So that's what kind of got my expectations a little higher on that, once I found out he was going to be a part of the team. So. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, on the whole though, I mean, I would say I enjoyed the season. It wasn't, I maybe didn't like totally blow me away. And there definitely were some, you know, some great moments. Like a lot of the ones that you were mentioning, I loved the B-Wing episode. I loved Zeb's episode. Um, both of his actually, the, you know, the Legends of the Lasat and then the, um, the one with him and Callus. Um, and I love the one with Sabine and the Mandalorians and especially, you know, that whole dog fight at the beginning with the, yeah. those spinning Mandalorian fighters. I love that scene. Um, but on the whole, I mean, I don't know, it's, I wouldn't say I was disappointed with it, but it just, I mean, as, as a whole season there, I mean, there were a lot of episodes that were just sort of like, not bad, but not great. Just kind of like not the most memorable um, and I don't, I mean, obviously like you said, Siege of Lothal and Twilight of the Apprentice both rank right up there with like some of the best episodes of Clone Wars as far as like, yeah. you know, some of the best Star Wars animated stories. But, um, 
I don't know, like maybe I was expecting there to be more of like a connective thread through the season as far as like story-wise. It just seemed kind of scattered um, and, you know, random. And I don't know, like, like I enjoy tuning in and watching it every week. Um, but just, you know, there are a few episodes that make me go like, man, that was really awesome. And then, but a lot of the time it seems like, you know, I turn it on, I enjoy it for half an hour, and then I'm like, okay, that was cool. I'm going to go back to playing Battlefront now. And it just, you know, some of them don't, like, just leave that much of a lasting impression. Um, but that's okay. I mean, it, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, it's it's different from what Clone Wars was. And so I, I think, I you know, maybe I'm missing, like, the, the four-episode story arc format that Clone Wars got into where you yeah. kind of really get more, like, deeper into those stories and those characters and stuff. Um, and I think even like the end of season one of rebels kind of set a really high bar as far as, I mean, cause even like during season one, there were some moments too, where the stories seemed kind of like scattered and random, but then those last three episodes of season one, and then the first episode of season two really told like almost like a, a connected four part story. And I felt like, Oh, okay. Now they're really starting to build up and you know, the stories are really getting stronger here. And then season two, I felt like kind of lost that focus again a little bit. Um, but again, that, you know, like not to say that there weren't some great episodes and some great moments in there. It's just when I think of it as a, a season as a whole, it just doesn't really feel like, like it, it doesn't really stick out to me in terms of like, Oh, season two, that was the season where this big story happened. It's just like, you know, just sort of a, a collection of stories, I guess, and sort of the the big, you know, story that sticks out that we all think of is, you know, the whole Vader Ahsoka storyline. But I mean, you can really watch like the first and last episode, and there's not really much in between that you need to to add to that. Um, I mean, if anything, um, and this was probably one of my other favorite episodes of the season. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the name, but we've already talked about it the uh the one where they're all having like their force visions in the cave um like that was a good one and that you know adds some to to that overarching vader story because that's the one where yoda tells them to go to malachor and all that kind of stuff um and where kanan gets knighted and where ahsoka realizes that vader is anakin and all that kind of stuff but um I don't know. I mean, maybe Siege of Lothal just set the bar really high and then they didn't quite hit that bar. Or maybe we were expecting or maybe I was expecting to see more of Vader and Ahsoka throughout the season. But um, yeah, I don't know. So on the whole, I would just say that aside from the first and last episodes, like everything in between was good, just didn't totally blow me away. So, I mean, if I had to to give an overall score, I'd maybe say like 7.5 out of 10 or something like that. Yeah, I know you're not alone as far as people thinking as far as having episodes that are just standalone and not being like real serialized, where it's like a main theme throughout the season. Even though I think I think if you like watch it on the Blu-ray, you'll see like a few episodes in a row, you'll see more of those connective tissues of them setting up the rebel base, getting new ships, uh, part of the fleet, and all that type of stuff. But at the same time, too, I don't really mind it not being you know every episode connecting with each other and having a lot of standalone ones because. I think we've gotten so used to that now with TV series and even animated TV shows, but it's not always been like that. I'm actually, you know, doing a rewatch of the classic Batman the animated series, and 
no way is that series, you know, serialized. Each episode pretty much stands on its own, and there's not too many connective tissues that for each season there's like a main story thread. There's this one episode, that's it, and you can, you can move on to the next one. And that's what kind of this season reminded me of, and I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, too, I do understand for those who are kind of looking for that type of storytelling, season two maybe didn't do the best job in doing that serialized type of storytelling for a season but i don't think it really needed to for me anyway that's why i i really enjoyed it and i'd probably in the minority here but i actually put it over season one and i know <laughs> looking on twitter a lot of people hold season one higher guard which they should it's a great season but i think season two surpassed it with the big moments we got with Vader and ahsoka and some really cool episodes in between so mm-hmm. i'd probably rate it a like solid point higher I'd probably give it a 8.5 for sure but i don't know those season premiere and finales or might be good enough to give it a nine for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, I mean, it's 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 really hard for me to sort of put my finger on it because I'm not even necessarily looking for it to be like a, a continuous, like serialized storyline because, I mean, Clone Wars didn't do that either. Um, aside from, you know, some of those, like, like we're talking about the bigger story arcs and stuff, but it would kind of just jump around. You'd have three episodes about Ryloth and then, you know, two episodes about Jar Jar and Mace Windu and four episodes about the clones on Umbara. And, you know, it was kind of all over the place. But the, you know, for the most part, the stories that they did tell felt really, you know, sort of urgent. And, you know, there, there was a, a real, I don't know, they, they kept me hooked and, and interested. And um, I'm just kind of looking again through the the list of episodes for this season of rebels. And I mean, it's weird. Cause on the whole, like, I feel like a lot of the episodes this season were better than the ones from last season. Um, but maybe it's the fact that there were so many more episodes this season that it just kind of felt a little more scattered, I guess, and not quite as, as tight. And there were definitely some episodes from season one that I wasn't crazy about either. Um, but like I said, I I think just sort of the the lasting impression that it left on me was just those last three episodes, and then you know transitioning into Seizure of Lothal at the beginning of this season, it was like okay, now this is starting to really come together and and be really tight, and then it felt like it just sort of got a little bit scattered again after that. And I mean, one of the things too that does kind of bug me about the show a little bit is, um. I mean, they they do tend to occasionally, I feel like, introduce plot elements that you feel like are going to lead towards sort of a a more serialized storyline, and then they leave them hanging for a really long time. Um, Like, for example, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the Mandalorian episode with Sabine's friend, and she, I think, comes back in, like, one episode, like, you know, 10 episodes later or something she just like yeah. randomly shows up to help them in one battle and it's like oh yeah completely forgot about her but now she's randomly back in here and um you know the other mandalorian episode like they recruit the the main pilot guy never saw him again but we'll probably see him pop up in some random space battle in season three um is he more a prisoner though i don't think they actually recruited him maybe but i got the sense that like they were going to get some kind of help from the mandalorians um, or maybe it was just to like, let them pass through that system. Yeah, I, 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 I don't remember exactly what it was, but then even in season one, the whole mystery of Ezra's parents, um, like that was, those were probably two more of my favorite episodes from season one. The, um, it was sort of the mid season finale, I guess the, 
Empire Day. Yeah, Empire Day and Gathering Forces, where as you know, they fight the Inquisitor and Ezra summons the big giant monster and everything, and that was really cool. But then you've also got that Sibo guy who you know had yeah. the Imperial secrets in his head and um you know, knew where Ezra's parents were and stuff. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is going to lead into some really cool mystery where, you know, Ezra's going to find his parents and maybe they're even going to get some secret Imperial information from him that might tie into like the Death Star plans or something like that. But then, you know, they came back from the mid-season break and it's like nobody ever mentioned him again until halfway through this season when they suddenly were like, oh yeah, Ezra still wants to find his parents. And uh, by the way, they're dead. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, way to like build up a really interesting plot point, leave it dangling for a really long time, and then give it a, an anticlimactic resolution. Um, so that's where I, I you know, I, I feel like sometimes, I don't know if they're biting off more than they can chew, or if it's just, you know, the story feels kind of unfocused, where it's like right when it seems like one thing's going to be interesting, they shift focus to something else, and they may or may not come back to that first thing. So, um, I don't know, that, that's kind of one of my gripes with it. But still, like I said, I, you know, I enjoy it for what it is. I know there are some people like you who probably enjoyed the season more than I did, but I definitely know a lot of people too who, you know, were less enthusiastic about it. Um, and, you know, again, as I said, I, I enjoyed it. I'm at the point now where I'm just like, you know, Clone. I, I think Clone Wars was something really special um, totally. that we're probably not going to get again. And so this for me is just like, you know, I, I tune in every week to, you know, get my half hour animated Star Wars fix and just be entertained. But I'm not looking for the next, you know darkness on umbara or the lawless or anything like that i'm not looking for that out of rebels except for like when vader and ahsoka show up in an episode then i'm Good. like oh hold on to your butts it's going down pretty much just expect that for a season premieres and finales because yeah <laughs> i haven't disappointed on those fronts just yet yeah but yeah i kind of know what you're saying on you know leaving threads dangling for a bit and then yeah the Ezra and his finding out what happens to his parents was anticlimactic even though i like that episode as far as how Ezra kind of took a turning point for his character there, especially at the end when he find out they were dead. But I do know what you mean as far as, you know, just they just tell you that they're dead and that's it. <laughs> but yeah, for the season, I guess the last thing I'll say for about it is I, I can't wait for the Blu-ray because just for the premiere and finales alone, it's going to be so amazing to see those on Blu-ray. It's going to look so, so good. Oh, so yeah. I, for just for those four episodes, it's worth the purchase. But I think the whole season too, is uh more than in itself so yeah i can't wait for the blu-ray i just wish it comes out in the summer so we can make the time go by faster for season three but it usually comes out right before season the next season premieres which is i never get that scheduling for blu-ray releases of the previous season it'd be perfect for the summer yeah i don't get that either i don't know but um yeah i mean like i said good season overall awesome premiere awesome finale um so yeah that's star wars rebels and that's force awakens blu-ray and rogue one teaser and i think we are uh, just about done here did uh tim did you have any um yeah did we have any emails or, or listener comments or anything like that that you wanted to read before we head out um actually yeah i got a put out a few polls for the big stuff that happened with Star Wars with uh, Rebels season finale and the Rogue One trailer. So 
go ahead and give those results out. I've for the Rebel season two finale, kind of asked what people thought if it was amazing, good, disappointing, or haven't seen it. Sixty six percent thought it was amazing. Sixteen percent thought it was good. Eighteen percent didn't see it, and zero were disappointed. So that was good to see. And then we got a comment from uh, Wanda Blackwell who said that. Uh, getting the seventh sister getting killed was the only thing I didn't like. I wanted to learn more about the seventh sister and all the inquisitors. And I do agree where I think Dave Filoni said this, it's time to start, you know, weeding out the inquisitors because we don't see them or hear them mentioned in a new hope. So I do realize that it is time to, you know, if there's eight of them out right now, at least so they need to start thinning the herd a bit. But I do agree with what Wanda is saying that, it would be great to learn more about the Inquisitors and just how the whole operation and their rankings works. I find that fascinating that they call it like the fifth brother and the seventh sister and their rankings and you know their quest and trying to move up to the Grand Inquisitor. So that would be cool to get like in a comic series or something to learn more of their history. And I do agree that the seventh sister was probably the coolest Inquisitor yet, <laughs> even though she, uh, we didn't like to get her backstory fully fleshed out. Hopefully that's something we can, you know, get in a comic series down the line because it, it is interesting i think the whole process of the inquisitors and why palpatine would still find the need for them when he has vader and then also for rogue one put a poll out for uh that one to see what people thought of it 76 percent thought it looks amazing 20 percent thought it looked good four percent said it looked okay and zero thought it was disappointing so i am glad for the rebels finale and for the rogue one trailer nobody was disappointed with it for, for those <laughs> who took this poll so that's good but yeah. we... well that's only because you didn't put out a poll specifically about helicopter savers <laughs> <laughs> that would have got a hundred percent disappointing <laughs> i think <laughs> but then for the rogue one trailer we got a comment from sharoni noni who always uh, interacts with us on twitter which is cool she said, it looks good, but I won't get my hopes up. Trailers for The Force Awakens looked amazing, too, and it was a huge letdown for me for so many levels. So while it's disappointing that Sharoni doesn't like The Force Awakens, I think what's good about Rogue One is that it looks totally different in from The Force Awakens and just what type of movie it's going to be. So hopefully it won't have the same disappointment with Rogue One being how it's going to be something totally different. So, yeah, glad to see with the polls I put out that the amazing stuff we got with Star Wars over this course of this last month, pretty much everyone is loving. It's like I said at the beginning, this was exactly what I was hoping for when Disney bought Lucasfilm, new Star Wars movies were announced. We got Rebels and we're going to get movies once a year. All this excitement that we had towards that, we're living it now and it's delivering on all fronts. I could not be happier and more excited to be a Star Wars fan right now. It's just such a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Um Man, and yeah, it's just going to be even better, you know, as we head into the summer and hear more about Rogue One and more about the production of Episode Eight. Um, and uh, you know, just got—we didn't even mention, you know, some of the new like books and comics and stuff that are coming out as well. Um, and uh, you know, new Battlefront expansions and and stuff too. So um, there's always, you know, like you said, just we're we're in a time where the the new and exciting Star Wars stuff just keeps on coming. So, um, but I think we're uh, just about ready to wrap up uh, here for this episode. Hopefully it won't be another like month and a half before our next one. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I'm also sure we won't have, well, pretty sure not, you, you never know, but we probably won't have another like 
awesome season finale and new trailer and blu-ray release to talk about on our next episode um, <laughs> until next year <laughs> yeah i was gonna say unless we waited like a year or something um but yeah we'll we'll be back again soon with uh you know some more talk and discussion about uh star wars news and rumors and stuff like that so thank you guys for tuning in as always you can check us out online uh we're on facebook at facebook.com slash star wars the saga continues uh you can follow us on twitter at star wars tsc uh you can send us email at star wars tsc at gmail.com and you can check out our website at star wars tsc.com um and until next time we will see you guys later and may the force be with you see you next time everybody <laughs>